Hi, folks. Uh, this podcast is recorded in a house of with animals, of animals, with animals. Either one yeah, works. Yeah, it, it both works. Um, yes, hi, hound. You are beautiful. Ursula was singing to the hound, and we didn't want to subject you to that, so it took us an extra second to uh, It was recording. toss a coin to your hound dog, though. Yes. You're welcome, Internet. Uh, also, uh, we swear a lot. Yes, frequently, with gusto, with and enthusiasm. Yes, and so we have to mark this as explicit. Isn't that right, Hound? Because that's a thing we have to do. Uh, the other thing I'm going to mention before we get started is, <laughs> I have like a whole list for this one. Uh, this week's interview deals with trauma, family health, uh, pet death, the Holocaust, suicidal thoughts, and a concussion. Jesus Christ, who did you interview? I'll tell you about that in a minute. Welcome to Productivity Alchemy, episode 133. Professor X? No. Uh, actually, uh, my friend, our friend Michelle Wexelblot, who... Who may also be Professor X, we don't know. Pretty sure she's not. But she is actually a, a trauma therapist. Oh, wow. And... She could have sorted Professor X out. Maybe. We had a big talk about burnout, and I'm really excited about sharing that with everybody because it there's there's a lot of, of stuff to dig into. And, and Lord knows we talk about burnout a lot here. Uh, yeah, or at least we skirt around it. This is a much more visceral, here's how I ended up this way, and here's what I'm doing to get out of it. Very right. cool. A, a lot of the how I ended up this way. And I think it's important for people to understand the sort of stresses that can drive one to burnout, even when you're not looking for it. And I think that was sort of the, uh, the, the big thing about this is there was a whole lot of uh, just stressors that built and built and built. And then, but, you know, oh, wait. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, thinking of stressors, I have to work kind of a weird schedule now. I mean, it's not weird. It's just You've stressful. been putting in some late hours. I, I have. We've got this big go-live due at the end of the month, like open to customers end of the month. We have to have security scans done on it in like a week. And so we're pulling in more people now that more people have access to it than just like two of us and starting to get all these extra pieces and all this debugging and things done. But the extra people are in either Europe or Australia. Ah. So my my day is now like, you know, get up early, take Jacob to school, come back home, rush, 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 because all the Europeans are like, this didn't work or that didn't work or this needs to be done, da, 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 da. And then there's this lull in the middle of the day where all my meetings happen. So that's sort of a little bit of a brain coast, although I may be poking at problems from earlier in the day. And then as Australia starts to come on in the afternoon, everything becomes bang, bang, bang. So I go pick up Jacob. And when I get back, the Australians are coming online and then it starts to get really frantic. And I'm trying to spend as much time with the Australians as I can. But that means it's now like almost 8 p.m. And I finished working about 20 minutes ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this will calm down. Yes, th this is not a sustainable long-term no, proposition. No, and, and everybody understands that. Uh, so the nice thing is, though, that I have learned so much in the last week about how all of our stuff interacts and how it goes together. And I only broke the environment three times. So 
And one time I was like, oh, uh, I, I think I did that. And the guy in Australia I'm working with is like, that's okay. I did it on my first day. <laughs> like, okay. I, I, all my stressing about, oh God, am I in trouble for doing this? Blah, blah, blah. Just went out the window. <laughs> so, um, that's, that's sort of been it. And otherwise I've been, uh, playing with Emacs configurations and we've been watching a lot of Clone Wars. I have a book due in five weeks, and I'm starting to get to the point where it is no longer about the word count I make on the book in a week. It's finish the goddamn book, Vernon. So yeah, how far did I get in the plot now? Right? Yeah, and I've I've still got a big chunk of the end to write, and I'm I'm starting to sweat a little. Uh, and <sighs> the this is. Not a new editor, but I mean, I've worked with her on on two other projects. Right. But this is kind of the first under-the-wire project we have. Like, um, Mm. the other ones, I was nearly done with them, and I was just, like, handing it in, kind of. This is uh, a, hi, you need to finish the book by X, and... Uh, so I cannot be late because you know this is this is my chance to prove to new editor and publisher that I am totally a professional who gets shit done, and uh, so yeah, uh, my professional who gets shit done self is um, <laughs> sort of weeping gently in the corner, and naturally I of course figured out about three thousand words worth of the book that. The self-pub book that, right. you know, comes next instead today. And uh, so that was, I mean, I wrote it down because if I've got those words, get them out, damn it. But right, right. yeah, it's, uh, and, and it'll come together. There will come a point where I will hit like the tipping point and then it'll be like, this book comes now and I'll have a 6,000 word day. But uh, it's kind of scary waiting for that. Yeah, well, yeah, I... On the one hand, I realize this is very, very stressful for you because your brain is very, very deadline-driven. But on the other hand, I mean, I always pull it off, so. That and you are one of the few genre authors I'm kind of aware of who's like, I must make the deadline or the world will end and isn't like I, you know, and isn't stressed because – you're in the slack time that the editors build into this because they know how writers are. Uh, Douglas Adams famously said, I love deadlines. I love the whooshing noise as they go by. Yes. And I respect. Okay. No, I don't respect that. Actually, <laughs> that gives me fucking hives is what that gives. Yeah, me. I, I, know, uh, I know. And, and, this is why I used to get letters from Penguin saying, you know, Merry Christmas to our most timely author. <laughs> uh, and I think when we went up to, to New York, like random people in the publishing house were collaring you and going, what's with the deadline thing? <laughs> no, no, there wasn't much of that. I, I was just sort of acting like the awestruck, you know, young man. Oh, look, there's bagels. Well, okay, yeah, but... I love uh, New York bagels. Give me some more. But I I seem to recall you saying to somebody, you don't understand if she doesn't make... She's used to being a freelance artist. If she doesn't make the deadline, she doesn't eat. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and that's that's your mindset. 
uh, still, uh, if if I do not make the deadline, I fail and die in a ditch next to Walmart. And I will. This is not actually the most healthy thing to do because I will hurt myself to make a deadline, right. and have done so in the past. I mean. Uh, there was uh, I was sorting out my stepfather's funeral. Oh God! And yes. and paperwork, and I was literally getting up in the morning and writing a thousand words at the coffee shop because the book had to get done, and then I would go do all the paperwork, you know, and call, make phone calls. Didn't they give you extra time specifically because of that? I don't remember anymore. And you still aimed for the original deadline, didn't you? Uh, I think I think what it was was I said I probably I may need more time. I'm going to try to make the deadline, but just be aware this has happened. And they were like, it. "Are you sh- uh, okay? Don't worry about it." And I was like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm going to worry about it." Of course, you're going to okay. worry about it. Yeah. Uh, and and I handed the book in on time, but uh, maybe I was a week late. I don't remember. Uh, but you you were stressed. I was stressed, and and but at the same time, I I say this and and. In the interest of full honesty, it was good to have that in the morning because that was a place <laughs> yeah. where I knew exactly where I was, what I was doing, and I was – I understood everything and I was in control of the process. So if I was you know, going to sit at Starbucks for two hours every morning and then – you know, then so be it. It uh, – it, I suspect that that actually helped my mental health a lot in addition to making the deadline because, wow, people dying totally puts you at sea. There's a lot of paperwork involved oh, in yeah. death. Uh, and and I, I hope you have extras still to this day of the death certificate. I don't have any copies. Well, I mean, I, I hope your mother does. Oh, yeah. I think I ordered like 15. I don't remember. But yeah. – uh, and yeah, it was – some parts of it were were easy. Fortunately, I had enough – cash flow that there were parts I could make go away with money. And that is really helpful, even though, you know, we didn't do a formal funeral or anything. We, it was cremation and, and, you know, whatnot. It's also very expensive, but it was not nearly as bad as it could have been. Uh, And... You know, and my mom's not a fixed income, so yeah, any problem mm-hmm. I could make go away, whatever, break out the credit card. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, deadlines are a thing that I do because I learned early in my career as a freelance artist you make deadline or you do not get food. Right. Food good. And, uh, you know, like many people, I have the terrifying fear of dying in a ditch next to Walmart, and basically the not making a deadline taps directly into the ditch next to Walmart uh, function of my brain. Yes. But anyway, so the long and the short of it is I have five weeks to pull a brilliant, heart-wrenching ending out of my ass. Okay. And I already kind of know what it's going to be, but I got like to get between point A and point B, and... Fuck. So I just realized. It was much easier to write the other book. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, th- I don't know. Yeah. I'm the, agreeing with you. I, I don't actually yeah, know. Yeah. The, 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 
the book that the the self pub book that you know I it's very simple. I just keep cock blocking the protagonists <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> is that the one I'm reading currently? No, no, that one's done. This is the sequel. This is Istvan's oh, story. Oh, this is Istvan's story. Yes, okay. and so basically every time they're about to get anywhere, wham, and. Uh, Honestly, the words just flow after that. Sexual frustration will get you, will make word count every time. I, I did sort of notice that in this book. <laughs> it, it's the secret to romance is, you know, you can either have the, the ones where they hate each other and then fall in love, or you can have the ones where they're really into each other, but can't ever get anywhere because life. <laughs> okay. I understand the formula now. Um, I, I did have a question occur to me. Yeah. So there is no Walmart within like thirty minutes of here. All of them are at least a little 20. over half an hour. To I get could to, get twenty five to the one in Chapel Hill. The one, in, oh, or the one most of the way to Chapel Hill. Yes, right. So, in order to die in a ditch next to Walmart, do I have to take you to the ditch? Actually, uh, our dear friend Mer Lafferty has assured me that because I am her friend and she loves me, she will drag me to Target, which is a higher quality ditch to die next to. That is. The the Target is also a good 30 minutes away. Uh, more like 40. And so, yes, she's she's that is a sacrifice, yes. Especially since it takes like 40 minutes to get here in the first place. Yep. We're talking a good hour and a half to drag me to the ditch to die. All right. Yeah. I, that is I one of the, the reasons love. we love Mer. Yeah, yes. <laughs> feel that love. So anyway, so anyway you have an interview. <laughs> I do. Uh, like I said, it is with uh, Michelle Wexelblot, our friend, uh, our former uh, guest of honor liaison at Aresia a couple years ago, mm. and we talk a good long time about burnout. And we will do that right after this. Hi, folks. I am here with my friend Michelle, and it is always a joy to have Michelle on. This is uh, your second time on? Second time. And, and uh, Smokey has decided now is the exact moment to complain loudly to the world that he is Smokey and not getting enough love. Um, and now that set off Ernie. So everybody bear with that. We warn you about the animals. Um, anyway, Michelle is here to talk to us today about some of her experiences since the last time we talked and you've had some some major changes happen since then and i've already given the content warning to the nice people who are listening um so you burned out yeah, yeah. and uh for uh, for those who don't know i was on episode 40 i am a clinical social worker right uh, master's in social work and part of the reason I wanted to come on and talk about talk, burnout mm -hmm. is because normally when you get burnout what do you do well one of the first things is you think about is maybe going and finding a therapist <laughs> yeah so what happens when your therapist hits burnout 
Yeah, you know, it's an interesting question because I know when I hit burnout, even though I didn't realize it was burnout, I did go to a therapist uh, who was very helpful. Um, it was also during the time I had my divorce. So it was helpful on a lot of levels through that whole thing. Yes. And so, even yeah. just divorce by itself is one of those things that sometimes sends people to therapy to work stuff out and to process loss and change and mm-hmm. it's a change of life thing. There's yep. actually lists with uh, point markers on them that we have seen of what are some of the things that send people that by themselves are sufficient that it's sort of a, a critical care list for why you might mm-hmm. need to go to a therapist that doesn't make you sick or broken, or it's just enough of a life stress, but having some support would be good. Yeah. And, and when you don't know that what's affecting you is burnout. So I right. think you might, you might've had an, a, an, at least a slight advantage. I had no idea I was burning. Oh no, I didn't know I was burning out either. Oh, Oh, wow. And you're supposed, you're sort of the expert on this. I'm supposed, I am yeah. a trauma therapist by, <laughs> by training and I did not know I was in the process of burning out. And that is in part my own personal history mm-hmm. in this and having to figure out my own trauma pieces in there from uh, family uh, inherited trauma. Mm, okay. Yeah. Which uh, impacted this. Um, I didn't mention it before during our, our pre-conversation, but part of this is uh, I am first-generation post-Holocaust. Oh, okay. That that yeah, you're not. Yeah. it's not your grandparent. Oh, no, it's not my grandparent. My mother oh. was out of occupied Europe. Holy, holy shit! <laughs> Pardon my. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and so yeah. a lot of the narrative growing up. He was around that. There's also the piece in uh, Judaism, especially among modern Orthodox Judaism, is teaching people to remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, the term being Zahor. Uh, if you remember what happened before, hopefully we can prevent it from happening again. Right. But part of Judaism, part of my learning about what happened when I burnt out was connecting it to the fact about how Jews remember. Mm-hmm. If you think about Passover, I don't know if you've ever been to a Passover Seder. I have. I have. I have a, a, a lovely Jewish friend. Sorry, that sounds really okay. bad the way I say it. But you have a lovely friend who invited you for Seder. For Seder. And uh, and her sister and her sister's wife were there and her wife. And it was it was lovely. Yes. Absolutely lovely. Yeah. So you heard the part about the story where we tell the story where we tell it from the first person point of view, as if this happened mm-hmm. to us, that we got taken out of Egypt. Yeah. And if you think about that from a trauma perspective, then you are holding eons and eons of potential accumulated trauma of having been in slavery and that you are supposed to remember this in the current tense not mm-hmm. in the past tense. Not in the past tense. Which is an interesting way to do it, but it's also going to build a very uh, complex shared identity. It, can, it does mm-hmm. that. Yeah. I recognize that in learning about about the way that I learned about remembrance and mm-hmm. so forth, and that you're supposed to remember these things caused me to hold on to trauma pieces that I was exposed to for my clients in that first person way. 
that if I uh, remembered it for them, mm-hmm. we know it's not true. We can't suffer for somebody else. Right. Right. But I held on to the pieces a little too closely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in healing them, you kind of hurt yourself. Yes. Yeah. And it happens slowly, slowly, slowly over time. You pick up a mm-hmm. little bit here, you pick up a little bit there. And in doing this, I also kept working on self-care. Mm-hmm. Which is important. Of, yeah. Which is important. Um, mm-hmm. But being a trauma therapist and pulling in people who... Uh, so when I say trauma, let's, mm-hmm. let's define trauma. Okay. Trauma in this way does not just necessarily mean single event, big thing that happens. Right. If you think about it more, oftentimes burnout happens because of accumulated life distress or accumulated stressful incidents. And you can have accumulated uh, life stresses that over time you don't recognize that you are building up. Mm-hmm. You, you acclimate and you acclimate mm-hmm. and you acclimate yep. until it gets to be too much. And in my case, when those stressors were taken away, my brain didn't know how to function anymore. You uh, acclimate mm-hmm. and build tools for managing in that situation mm-hmm. that may or may not work when you are outside of that situation. Yeah. They're really yeah. useful for you when you are in them. Oh, yeah. When you take yourself out of that situation, how do you manage? And you can't manage the same way, and that's when things start to fall apart. Or At least that's what they did for me. That's what they did for you. Uh, yeah. For me, they started to fall apart while I was still in it because the tools mm-hmm. that I was using while I was in it, mm-hmm. um, I talk about to people that our emotional systems are often finite. Mm-hmm. It only holds so much. And I was holding too much. And yeah. I did not realize I was holding too much until I started to make errors and it started to impact the people around me. And that's, and then, uh, and then if you've got a good support system, you've got people there who are saying, okay, time out. Right. Unfortunately, you know. here's the cascade of failures. Mm-hmm. My peer support group, my, my other clinicians that I'm supposed to meet with once a month so that we can talk about stuff that's going on, mm-hmm. are, um, hadn't met in six months. Oh, because we didn't meet all summer and then we kept missing things with each other. And then Mm -hmm. people would have life things happen that morning and uh, cars would break down. People would have sudden medical appointments, but it had been quite some time since we had had peer meeting. Mm -hmm. Um, My own therapist had life stuff happen family wise that took her out of the picture and I hadn't seen her in almost two months. Um, There were stresses within family Mm-hmm. that was going on and i had things change with my clients where what i thought had been simple things turned out to be bigger and more stressful than i thought when i first picked up the, the new clients right so where i thought i was limiting the amount of stress that i had at work suddenly mm-hmm. it went really big sorry it's r- raccoon o'clock apparently of course I, for yeah, us of we course. would call it squirrel o'clock yes yeah, if all the squirrels go to sleep, but the raccoons come. <laughs> so it's okay. Right now, hearing the bark of a dog is a thing I miss. <laughs> so yeah. 
which which was me. yeah we will we and and we'll, we'll talk about how we'll get to that yeah we'll get um, to that yeah so with all of that and the work stuff happening i started mm-hmm. looking at what are the pieces of self-care had i stopped doing mm-hmm. well i had had some physical injuries i managed to sprain my ankle badly enough that it took me about two years to heal it and that took out climbing for me which had been one of the mm-hmm. exercises i had liked and for part of self-care it also took out a lot of my walking to where i wasn't able to even just go for a walk one of the right. ther- things therapists recommend is you go for a walk for 15 or 20 minutes a day yeah. you yeah. Know, you do that and i couldn't do that mm. not so comfortably and easily it was getting yeah. better but i hadn't exercised really well in a while mm-hmm. and i know that impacts my mental health right um I was trying to get my eating back under control, but when you're in pain, it is not uncommon to eat when you are in pain. Yes. And not to uh, put too fine a point on it, but there's always these stereotypical eat, eat that yes. grandmothers and mothers have done it's to us over the years. It's love. When yes. you're unwell, you eat. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And we don't always make the best choices when we eat. Right. There's, mm-hmm. So there's that. Um, so there were that and some other health issues that had come along where I was not getting exercise. My diet wasn't great. My sleeping mm-hmm. habits were not, were not wonderful. Um, so all of these things, and I kept trying to figure out how to get back into doing my self-care when things started to fall apart. Right. I was doing what I could. I had stopped meditating. I mean, all the things mm-hmm. that are characteristic signs of somebody <laughs> falling apart, and I'm trying to re-engage with them. Right. The magic thing that they don't necessarily tell you about burnout and self-care is that when you're hitting that point of burnout, you've already spent the energy. Oh, yeah. And so where do you find the energy to do self-care without changing something else? When my therapist and I finally sat down to talk about it, she actually had to look at me. I've been (laughs) in practice now for more than 12 years, and she looked at me and said, too much is too much. Yeah. And you cannot self-care your way out of too much. So yeah. about that, it, when you do your regular show about those lessons learned and what's the best piece of advice or feedback, mm-hmm. too much is too much. Yeah. And you cannot self-care your way out of too much. Uh, no, and knowing, learning, you always learn that, that limit the hard way. Yes. I don't know anyone who hasn't learned it the hard way. Um, right. And so one of the things mm-hmm. is that my job is always to be that strong person for other people, strong person mm-hmm. for the family at home, strong person for people at work. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be that. Uh, and right. just today I found uh, a random thing on dailyin.live that got linked on Facebook. We were talking about <laughs> Facebook before. And it says, mm-hmm. even the strongest person gets tired of being strong and needs a break. Yeah. Yeah. And with everything that was going on, I was not necessarily getting a break. So that's August, mm-hmm. August, September. And so September, I start easing back on the work that I'm doing. Uh, I was getting some supervision. Um, I was getting probably every two weeks to every four weeks, I had a person who was supervising me doing specific work mm-hmm. for the clients I have with dissociative identity disorder. Yes. So okay, yeah. uh, at the time I had multiple where I thought I had one. Suddenly mm-hmm. I had four or five. And, and, and one is a challenge, right? One is a challenge. Uh, having four or five is a lot. 
mm-hmm. when I was doing work in an inner city clinic mm-hmm. of a caseload of 35 or 40 people, the uh, doctorate there asked me how many uh, high need, high intensive major work clients did I have at that time? And I went counting through of my 30 clients. Mm-hmm. I, and I said, I have eight or nine. And he said, that's too many. You're going to burn out doing that because that's literally one third of your caseload. Yeah, that's, and that's, uh, if one third of your workload is high intensity, high, if, if you'll pardon the phrasing, high touch, high engagement. High engagement. Yeah. Then that's that, a lot out of you that you very much have to be mindful and present for. If you think yeah. about concentration, these are the people you have to pay the most attention to, not just what they're saying, but what they're not saying. Yeah. And when you have that kind of a workload, you don't notice it, but you start to slip in the other things because you're so focused on the 30% that suddenly you're taking up 20 or not 20, but 90% of your energy. Or you start Mm -hmm. slipping with them and you're not paying enough attention in that time because you just don't have it. And at the time when I started to burn out, my therapist and I went through my list and I had more than one third of my clients in that high need range. That's a lot. It is a lot. Yeah. Um, So I started easing back and I started working Mm -hmm. on who I could graduate, how I could work, talking to the person who I was getting supervision with on getting some of these people other supports so it wasn't Mm -hmm. just me, making sure they had backup, all of that stuff. Um, And that got me through October while I'm starting to slow down. Mm -hmm. And then early November, I managed to bash my head and give myself a concussion. Yeah, because we were going to talk about this a couple months ago. We were. But you've had to recover from the concussion. Right. Which I think is is much more important than doing an interview with me. Well, I also Mm -hmm. couldn't focus and organize my thoughts. Uh, Yeah. I learned a lot about cognitive privilege in having this concussion. Yeah. Privilege. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I took for granted that my brain could do. And um, the other thing that happened September, October, while, pardon me, uh, timelines are wrong, I started taking new clients August, mm-hmm. September. And it was October, I figured a lot of this stuff out. My therapist wanted me to, to slow down because taking on new clients is hard. Yeah. Things escalated quickly. Um, and then November I hit my head. And that, that's, that's, yeah, that's. And I did that on a Sunday on Monday. I went to the doctor and the doctor looked at me and said, you are now taking the next week off. And that one week off turned into three and a half. Yeah. So Cause I got an enforced rest, mm-hmm. which sometimes helps, but sometimes that actually pushes the stressors even further because now you're worried about what you aren't getting done that you shouldn't worry about getting done because you're hurt, you're injured. Right. And yet you're still guilty, anxious, um, you know, upset. All those, yes, Ernie, uh, all those feelings are, are building up. Yeah. And there's another piece to this that I want to take from a trauma perspective mm-hmm. is that when you have had something, an adverse life experience happen, or mm-hmm. you are dealing with these things while the situation is still open, 
Mm-hmm. It hasn't been concluded. It hasn't been resolved. You know, there's no resolution. Uh, right. You don't have an end to it or you don't have a way of working on it. It's as if the, the adverse life experience or trauma is still going on. It's still considered open. Right. When we talk about diagnosis, we look at what people get. Uh, they say you get a diagnosis for acute stress disorder as opposed to PTSD mm-hmm. within the first six months of something happening when you're thinking about single event trauma. Okay. So if it persists and if the symptoms persist beyond six months, mm-hmm. you start looking at you know what has uh, settled down into long-term patterns. Right. Right. However, you know, let's say you are in an earthquake zone and you've been through an earthquake and then <laughs> still aftershocks for weeks and a month or two mm-hmm. afterwards. Each time that aftershock is there, it's like that same box is opened again. You don't, yep. you don't return to safety. And even if you, even after all of that and it stopped and it stopped for months or whatever, even the slightest tremble can open that box back up. It can, depending Mm -hmm. upon what your resilience is, how well you dealt with it. And so the other type of therapy, the the other type of trauma work that I do is I Mm -hmm. uh, do early intervention trauma, which is right after an incident has happened, if you treat it then, you prevent it from uh, being able to integrate down into long-term. Right. But when you're dealing with uh, what I call uh, water torture uh, injuries, where this accumulated life stress, and it happens, and it happens, and it happens, and it happens in small amounts. Just just a drop every hour, half hour, forty five minutes, day. You never know, but it's going to Couple drop again. Weeks, yeah, yes. yeah. Um, it accumulates over time, mm-hmm. and there isn't a way really of resolving it each time unless you're mindful about decompressing yourself after mm-hmm. each time that happens. Um, so I picked up a whole bunch of stuff. Yep. And so then I got the concussion, and with the concussion, there my brain shifted where it was healing. It went mm-hmm. from emotional healing to neurological healing, right. other healing. So I never actually got to do any of the work to resolve, well, it's not true. I got uh, one, uh, I, I am an EMDR practitioner, eye movement mm-hmm. sensitization and reprocessing. I'm a big believer in it. I think it is a mm-hmm. fabulous way to reprogram your brain and to be able to let trauma memories go into long-term memory as opposed mm-hmm. to shorter-term memory. Right. My therapist does it also. And okay. so we use the EMDR to go back and process mm-hmm. Holocaust and Zahor and all of those sorts of processing and learn right. on how I hold trauma so that mm-hmm. I can stop doing that. <laughs> and all right, I'm going to have to take a break because the dogs are going to explode. Okay. Um, so I'm going to exploding dog. Yeah. I'm going to pause folks and we'll be right back. Well, you'll notice nothing, but <laughs> I, I'll be right back. <laughs> so you got to hear me feed the dogs and baby talk them and all of that stuff. And then uh, Smokey the cat had dental surgery today. So he's all, because he couldn't eat after midnight last night. And so he's been like, I am starving to death. I've never so, been fed. Yes. Never in my life have I been fed. But so, they do that anyway. Yeah. They kind of, well, the dogs that I came home from, from taking uh, Jacob to school this morning and I come in and uh, Shepard who's staying with us during the deep freeze period of the last week or so is like, I fed the dogs. Do not feed them again. They are <laughs> lying liars who lie. 
And I'm like, it's a good thing you told me because I would have believed they needed to be fed. <laughs> that has happened in our house as well. Yeah. The dog yeah. follows the same pattern and goes and mm-hmm. the person who says, who's the one who normally feeds them and does not any indication that the dog has already been fed. That's right. That's right. And we had the, and since all the cats, I had to take away all the cat food so Smokey wouldn't eat after midnight. So all the cats were following me around all morning <laughs> till, until we'd gotten back from taking Smokey to the vet and I could feed them. And then they were like, okay, fine. We will, we will let you live now. Like, okay. It's cats, you know, cats. cats, So, all right. So I had started doing my own treatment. Yes. One of the other things that I started or or within that was taking apart some of the warning signs for me that Mm -hmm. I had uh, been doing less well Mm -hmm. for longer. And we started taking a look at it. One of the things was that I was doing a lot of reading. Now that's kind of normal for me. Last right. year I read last year I read uh, more than 100 books. Yeah. Um but the quality of what I was reading, I was reading more novellas, more short things, more what I call mental junk food. I mean, I, now, last year I read all of NK Jemison's uh series, both three novel series. I read um I read five out of the six books in Max Gladstone's series, and each of those is a good, you know, oh, yeah. two to three inches thick. That's the kind of uh, I read uh, Patrick Rutherford last year. Again, mm-hmm. another really thick. This oh, year, yeah. reading novellas. Okay. Really, really mental junk food candy that are really light. And now, as as the as the husband of a Hugo Award novella winner i i can say they're not all popcorn no but i was reading a lot of popcorn no seriously i was reading a lot of popcorn um the the bob aspirin myth adventures of novellas uh a lot of yeah yeah (laughs) even even i went back that's a hole. That's a, that's a rat hole. I'm not going down that hole. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so one of the things that my therapist and I talked mm-hmm. about was shifting from reading in fantasy brain to mm-hmm. writing. Did I have an interest oh. in writing again? Mm-hmm. Because back uh, after kids were born and when I was done with grad school and while I was waiting around to see what happened with mom and chemo and whether I'd need to go out to Colorado for several months while she right. went to chemo to help take care of her as the person with the most flexible schedule. Um, I started writing after I dropped the kids off and I put together a hundred thousand word novel. Okay. That, you know, I wanted finished for when, before she died so that she could yeah. read. Right. And I succeeded in doing that. And I wrote a hundred thousand mm-hmm. words in three months. All right then. So yeah. I started writing in October and I just started mm-hmm. writing and writing and writing along came NaNoWriMo. Yep. And at the start of the month, I already had 20,000 words. It wasn't a big deal for me to sit down and put down five or 6,000 words in an evening. Mm-hmm. Now, I listen to Ursula's word count, and I know what she thinks of as a big thing, and that's a lot Yeah, sitting yeah. down. But I was regularly, every evening, sitting down for two or three hours, and my brain was just going on. I had three different stories that I was working on, two of them collaborations with other people and one solo, plus writing for uh, on a platform called Storium. Yes. Oh, yeah, I'm familiar with it. 
Yeah. I have been in one game that has been going for years, multiple mm-hmm. years now, but it's very slow moving because people have life, but we are yep. committed to this game and we love it. And so periodically there are spurts where we write many thousands of words and then we don't do anything for months. This happened mm-hmm. to be one of the high times where all of us were writing. Uh, okay. And so I was putting many words into that as well. NaNoWriMo came along and I was well ahead of the game. And then November 10th, whatever mm-hmm. that Sunday was, 10th or, 10th or 11th, and I knock my noggin and suddenly I can't write anymore. Which, yeah. I, can't put, I cannot craft a sentence that is English and grammatically correct. I can talk it, but the f- Putting the words together in my head and then getting them out either via uh, via my fingers specifically mm-hmm. did not work. There's also that when you have a concussion, it's not just the inside of your head that gets uh, damaged. You also have to think about the ocular and the vestibular mm-hmm. uh, systems. And so looking, they, they tell you, don't look at video screens. Which makes it really difficult to write in modern times yeah so i switched everything i could find to dark mode yeah that's really hard many 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 platforms don't support dark mode now here's the thing google supports dark mode for many of their computer things Mm -hmm. except when you turn google mail into dark mode and then you open up a mail to write yeah open box is not dark mode Yep, I'm familiar with it. It drives me crazy, which is sort of why I stopped using their web interface. Right. Yeah. Um, and a number of other things. And I turned as much as I could on my phone to dark mode. Mm-hmm. And that helped a lot. Um, originally, we thought my concussion was mild. But then it did not resolve within two weeks. Yeah, which is... that's. For, for a mild bonk on your yeah. head that, you know, you shook your noggin, you yeah. know, you should bounce back two to three weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did not. That's, um, yeah, that's like past football player injury at that point. Mm, mm. I don't know. But <laughs> I do know that I was having a lot of issues. So I did that on Sunday. Uh, a week Wednesday later, I showed a whole bunch of progress mm-hmm. and gotten better wrote 5,000 words and then relapsed worse uh, I started getting light sensitivity sound sensitivity um, uh, the the tinnitus in my ears increased mm-hmm. uh, what I did not know is that with a concussion is that you can continue to get new symptoms and increase in symptoms for the first three weeks and you also had the I'm feeling better and things are working so I treated it like everything was normal, which is something we are constantly having to remind other people about or and ourselves about, like, you have the flu, you're just getting over it. Don't push yourself Don't because, push yourself. Right. and yeah, and I was everybody having a good does. day and yeah. my brain sparked and I wanted to write and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I put, you know, over 5,000 mm-hmm. words down and it felt great. And then I got, re- oh, the other thing that kicked in then was the nausea. I had not had any nausea before oh. that. Um, so that Friday, two weeks after the concussion, I finally got to go see the neurologist and the Mm -hmm. neurologist gave me a test called the MOCA, which is the Montreal MO Montreal observational clinical something. I can't remember what it is, but it's the Montreal. It's, it's a cognition test. Great. I'm making a note so I can link to it. Yes. 
We'll look it up, yeah. Uh, it, is, it is a thing that, that neurologists and psychologists and stuff use. I use mm-hmm. the, the mini mental, which is a smaller version of that at my level. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the first tests that she gave me was, mm-hmm. you have 60 seconds. Give me all the words you can think of that begin with F. I can only think of one when I'm put on the spot like that. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so I'm sitting there not wanting to curse at my, my neurologist going, fuck, I can't think of anything. I can't, I can't. But I couldn't think of frustrated. I couldn't think of, right. you know, I was frustrated. I mm. was, you know, and I couldn't. Uh, in that 60 seconds, uh, I came up with 10 words. Which, yeah. when you sit and write 5,000 words, only being able to come up with 10 words in 60 seconds that begin with a letter. Now, I could rattle them off, not a right. problem. Do it then. I could not do it. And at about at the 50-second mark, it felt like somebody hit the back of my head hard with a rubber mallet. Mm. I had the worst headache, and my vision went blurry, and I couldn't. So thinking caused physical reaction. Right. right. I'd never experienced that before. Really? I'd never experienced the whole sensation of being physically in pain because I was trying to think. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it has happened to me in a much, much lighter scale, but you don't think that it can do that until it happens, and then you remember that, oh, yeah, it's all electrical impulses and pipes and, and hoses. Connected. Yeah, it it's all connected. connected. I yeah. talk to people about how physiological, mental, mm-hmm. and emotional things make this lovely triangle, mm-hmm. and these things are all connected. Yeah. And I've watched people have, and I've had somatic uh, symptoms to emotional things, but mm-hmm. I've never had really that I can remember somatic experiences to mental strictly right. mental things yeah. except for stress you know but you know distress and things and emo- you know all connect where you've got both the mental and the emotional then impacting mm-hmm. your physical that i've had right um but she- it, it makes sense that the physical can impact the mental and emotional but you never think of it that way no i mean but Usually. I certainly don't usually, yeah. So where I hit my head is the mm-hmm. soft line, like if you were oh, wearing a hairband. I know the one, yeah. Right underneath that is also uh, your language processing area. Oh, sorry, that, <laughs> that, that was the light bulb going off above my language processing center. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Um, yeah. And... It also, if you think about where that headband sits, it's mm-hmm. right also over your, your optic nerves, mm-hmm. and it's right over your vestibular center. And, and remind us all what the vestibular center the, does. The, the small little bones on the inside of your ear that impact your balance. Oh, oh, yes. Okay, Which yes. Which is why I was starting to be queasy, because the whole mm-hmm. system was off. And I didn't recognize that that was what was causing it. Mm-hmm. Um, she then gave me a written test where you had to follow these lines from 1A to 2B to 3C to 4D, and it's in this pattern. Right. I couldn't do it. I got 1A, 2B, and then, then I kept swapping 3 and C and 3 and C and couldn't get it. And then, mm-hmm. But I could redraw where all of them were. I could write this, this, this test out for somebody <laughs> right. else and put it up on a board, but then if I went to try to do it, I couldn't do it. 
Sorry, I'm I'm not laughing. I mean, I'm laughing, but yes, it's, go ahead. Because it's, it's it's fascinating it's, in a lot it, of ways. It is. Yeah, it's like okay, so yeah, because we don't talk about like there's all these broad terms when we talk about brain injuries or these things. Yes. We you know you we try, I think, really hard. I'm not going to say as a society, but as as people, not to think about that. Because yes. it is it is it is terrifying to think about if we think about concussions, yeah. we often think about headaches. We yeah. think about blurred vision. We think about, you know, queasy and nausea. We think about those physical symptoms that, mm-hmm. you know, the eyes being unequal and dilated, all of those things yeah. that we see on television shows. And I went to the ER the night that I hit my head and he did all of those tests and I came up negative for all of them. The ER doc also gave me a, 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 a CT scan of my neck mm-hmm. to make sure I hadn't broken my neck or didn't mm-hmm. have any uh, vertebrae that were fractured. Right. So uh, that came up all negative as well. So as far as, and he said, no, no concussion. But when right. I've done something that, it, that, that literally impacts, and I keep using this word impact when I've mm-hmm. impacted my head and can't miss the irony of it. <laughs> uh, I went to my chiropractor the next morning. My chiropractor yeah. is a former uh, paramedic. Right. And so when I told him I'd hit my head, he said, all right, let me ask you a few other questions. And he <laughs> did. And when he said, Does it, do you have pain behind the eyes? And I said, no. But I took so long answering the question. He says, all right, what does it feel like? It feels like somebody is trying to shove them out of my head. And he says, so you have a lot of pressure on the right. inside of your head. Yes. Can you stand on your toes? I got up and I tried to stand on my toes and I couldn't. Mm-hmm. I had no balance. I could stand on my heels, but I could not stand right. on my toes. I fell over. And he said, you have a concussion. (laughs) So he was the first one looking at other symptoms. Being a paramedic, he does a different field test than the ER doctor. And in a lot of cases, ER doctors are there for triage. Yes. They're there to get uh, the immediate quick diagnosis and move on to the next patient. Not because they aren't trained, not because... They don't want to help people, but because that is the nature of the job, yeah. you know, and if something serious comes in, they need to be able to move the serious person to where they need to be and the not serious person to wherever the not serious person, you know, you know they take care of what it is that they mm-hmm. can and hopefully that is sufficient and tell them to follow up with their doctor. Right. So I got told to follow up with my doctor um, mm-hmm. and he told me no concussion. And I went to my chiropractor the next day. He said, all right, given this, let's just take a look and see what there is. And mostly what he did for me mm-hmm. was a little bit of traction and ice, just iced the area. Yeah. Really gentle with me. And he followed the concussion protocol and he said, I'm doing everything right. Mm-hmm. And so he was just very, very careful and gentle with me. Um, yeah. but it was two weeks later that I saw the neurologist. And so the next test that the neurologist gave me that I flunked on was mm. remember these five objects. And she said, okay, she gave me these five words. Now, if I told you to remember five things and just parrot them back to me, you have a place in your brain that holds things really short term Yes. to just parrot things back. And she gives me these five things and says, what were they? And I go, nope, <laughs> they were gone that it was like the place in my brain where I would store that really short-term information was made mm-hmm. out of smoke and I'm writing on smoke. And by the time I'm done writing on smoke, it's gone. Yeah. I could not remember them. It took four iterations 
of her doing that and me reorganizing them to whatever made sense to me just to be able to parrot them back. Wow. This is two weeks post-concussion. Right. Um, then we went on to do some other testing and I had some other reactivity and mm -hmm. you know, the whole turn your head and fall. I could not turn my head all the way to the left without being queasy. Cause when I hit my head, I hit it tilted. Oh yeah. And so the direction that I had my head tilted continued to be a, a problem. And then mm -hmm. she asked me for those five words back and I got four of them. Okay. The fifth one took three reminders to hints, three hints. Until mm -hmm. I got it. And what was the word? It was a thing that began with the letter F. It was face. <laughs> <laughs> so so I'm I'm starting to wonder if if something and, and now I don't know if if F words is the standard test. I don't know either, but uh, it but, could be. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or or if it's just something happened to the part of your brain that processes F words. Or it was a holdover from getting stressed out about it earlier to where mm -hmm. I couldn't do it. Right. right. So all I know is that particular word was one I could not access until she had given me a really, really blatant hint that I could not miss. But that really yeah. showed me where mm -hmm. I was not healed. Right. Um, a week later, I went out to breakfast with a friend of mine who had had a major concussion. Or maybe, no, that was, that was Friday. The following Monday, I went out uh, to breakfast with a friend of mine who had had a major stroke. And he had had to right. learn to walk and talk and everything again. So mm -hmm. he understood where my brain would fail and, and the struggles. And he just treated it all as normal. There was no yep. pathologizing. There was no trying to fix. It was just mm -hmm. relaxing and... and uh, comfortable being around him and him just letting me work through it because he knew that's what I needed mm -hmm. to do. Yeah. I just needed to work through these things. So along comes with part of breakfast is the waitress asked mm -hmm. me what I want. I discovered during this time that I could not think and organize any sort of executive functioning system around food or many other things before 11 a.m. Okay. This before, is 11 days, yeah. before 11 a.m. Before 11 a.m., which is a lot of times when my brain kicks in anyway, but mm -hmm. that, that prime time of your day. But it really, that's about the time, 10, 30, or 11, is when I started finally being able to, to think and process. Mm -hmm. that I was getting up at 7 to take my kid to school, who was still in school. And I yeah. was still driving uh, 40 to 80 miles a day because I had to take my kid to school because they were in a private school. Uh, with a concussion. With a concussion. Now, is this 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 is the point where you you've been diagnosed? You've been having these. You should know better that we should have at this point. Or is this, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's one of those things where there you know, life happens and you have no choice. Yeah. Um, my husband has taken a new job as of April. That is a public transit commute that he starts at 7.40 in the morning Ooh. and doesn't get to work until 9 as opposed mm -hmm. to being one town over. Right. So it's not that he could do this. but And it wasn't every day. It was mm -hmm. mostly getting up at that time and taking the kid to carpool. Right. Um, during that time, the car now I'm remembering, the carpool people were really great. and They did not make me do the long drive. People stepped up from carpool to, so mm -hmm. I didn't have to do it. But I still had to get up and you know drive them. Right. Uh, the 10 or 15 minutes north to meet carpool. Yeah. 
And then I would come home and go back to sleep. (laughs) But I only a couple of times, uh, I think I went all the way north, 40 miles to get them, maybe once or twice in that time. And they're not old enough to drive yet. They are old enough to drive, but being in a private school 40 miles north from home, away mm-hmm. from where the driving schools are, and not getting home until six really impacts your ability to take driving lessons and get appointments. So they've had a permit for over a year and haven't been able to take any lessons. Which is ahead of us where my son has taken the lessons and is eligible for the permit. Actually, he's old enough. He could just walk in and take the test today. He's 18, right? Right. But I haven't had time between my work schedule and his school to get him yep. there to do this. So, yeah. Yeah. So, it's, just, hear been a, it's mm-hmm. just been a thing. Yeah. Um, so, here I am trying to do all of this stuff, and in this, other stuff happens. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, My dog gets sick. Yeah. Um, We, she starts drinking a lot and peeing a lot. And so we go and we do a whole bunch of tests and we discover that she has uh, uh, some sort of kidney disease that we know will eventually kill her. Yeah. But she can. And Mm -hmm. talking to my best friend who you've met, who's a vet. Yeah. um, uh, Who's down in North Carolina. uh, Mm -hmm. We all are. And. Uh, she says that she's seen dogs with this thing live for multiple years on, uh, you know, uh, changes in food and the right sort of medication, but having to go through and use the executive functioning to make the decisions about what tests to do and what's to Mm -hmm. do. I am really glad one of my best friends is a vet because everything that I had to make the decision on, she was right there with me, helping me think through things where Mm -hmm. I could not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my husband helped and we made these decisions together. Um, mm-hmm. my, my friend went on vacation. She was in Mexico, <laughs> uh, Mexico cool. City, uh, or New Mexico, I'm, I, south, way, way, you know, southwest. And from her vacation, she was checking in on me to help me make these decisions because it was that weekend yeah. that we were going through all of the testing and stuff. And so that's weighing on me now that I have mm-hmm. a dog with an illness and changing all of her food and changing habits mm-hmm. and all the stuff that we have to do. And with the concussion, I can't risk getting pulled over no. by the dog. Uh, Hollywood, uh, black lab pointer, mixed 55 pounds, all mm-hmm. muscle, lean, lean hunting dog. Oh, yeah. Um, and very quick moving. So if she saw something... If she mm-hmm. went after something. So I couldn't walk her. Oh. Because if I fell over again and any sort of jarring to my body would jar my brain. Mm-hmm. Luckily, we already had dog walkers. And so the dog walkers were coming twice a day. Uh, they would do once a day when I was home, twice a day when I was not. Mm-hmm. And I would take her out to the pen, which we have near the house, and for an empty, and they would take her for a nice long walk later. Yeah. Um, we have a couple of neighborhood dogs who would come by and we would throw them in the pen and they would play, I will bite your face for quite a while. And, yes. You know, and she was quite happy with that for exercise. And so. Yeah. It's an exhausting yeah. game. It is an exhausting game. It is an exhausting yeah. game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that was an added stress in that time. And mm-hmm. then there were other family health issues that are still ongoing that started at that time. Yeah. That increased my stress. 
Um, you also don't necessarily recognize how much stress you get from tinnitus, having a constant buzzing in your ears. And since I couldn't, reading was hard. Mm -hmm. um, my Kindle was in dark mode and that was okay if I made the letters large enough. I actually found paper books more easy to read, especially if they were cream color pages instead of white, white. Instead of the stark white, yeah. Instead of the stark white. And so I was doing, uh, luckily that's in phase right now and I was uh, reading a bunch of nice things on paper, but I couldn't listen. I wanted to listen to, to like, hey, this is a perfect time to catch up on your podcast. Right. Except <laughs> at the moment that I put, and then I'm having that problem right now because it's still mm -hmm. there. Um, the tinnitus is still loud is that I put the, the earbuds in mm -hmm. or put headphones on and I can hear the tinnitus much more loudly. Right. So I couldn't actually listen to podcasts. And, and you can't put, and you, you can't do noise canceling with that. No, you can't do noise canceling because yeah. the noise is on the inside of mm -hmm. your damn head. Yeah. And there's nothing that's going to cancel that. So I spent mm -hmm. a lot of time staring off into space, telling myself stories in my head that I could not write down mm -hmm. and not able to work on the burnout. Because you're so busy working on the, the physical healing, you can't work on the, the mental healing. And I didn't have the cognitive ability to work on the mental healing. I couldn't right. process things. I could not hold more mm -hmm. than two, step, two steps at a time for anything. You right. add the third one and whatever the cognition was, it would fall apart. Yeah. So all of that got put on hold, mm -hmm. except for the emotional pieces. And even then, I was dealing with the emotional pieces of everything else. And so everything about burnout, even though I was off of work, got shoved in the closet. Right. I couldn't think about it. I couldn't mm -hmm. feel it. I was feeling stuff with dog, with, with concussion, with, with dealing with privilege, how long this mm -hmm. was going to last. And it's one of those illnesses that you don't know how long no. you're going to be concussed for. You just I, I, literally have to write it out. I, I have to take a moment, by the way, to say the irony of you saying, shove these things in the closet and pointing over your shoulders at the lovely cabinet that is behind you right now. <laughs> yep. It's not lost on me. Okay. So <laughs> and I'm trying not to laugh in the middle of things, but I just, <laughs> just I just stick you, it in the closet. Stick right. it in the closet, and there's the closet right there's there. The closet right there. <laughs> um, so all of the stuff that, you know, I came here to talk about and deal with burnout all got set aside. It has to. I just I yeah. just didn't even realize I was doing it in the face of the new injury and everything else that was going on. Um, three weeks go by and I had no cognitive glitches that I'd been able to find for a week. We then okay. wind up with two snow days, which give me an extra two days home. Right. And then I go back to work, and the very first client that I see, I have a cognitive glitch during session. Oh. My, my clients, I, in talk, getting supervision uh, mm -hmm. about this, um, my supervisor wrote the letter to my clients with me on mm -hmm. uh, the fact that I was injured. Mm -hmm. I transferred my more critical clients mm -hmm. that could not wait for me. Uh, or told them that they would need to find other people and gave them some resources. And any client that I had to do a lot of the verbal cognitive processing for, mm -hmm. uh, I transferred because I was no longer a good fit for them. And it was right. unethical for me to consider working with them, knowing that there was the chance for these glitches to happen. 
Right. Uh, there is one particular client where I would have to listen for not for what they said, but for the mm -hmm. things that they didn't say. What were the absences in their language, mm -hmm. which is a completely different level of cognitive processing and yes. a thing I could not do because it, it requires holding four levels of information. What has this person said before? What are they saying now? What would be a normal thing for people to say Right. During this for, for the sort of thing that they are describing and what's missing. And if your glitch is you can only keep two things. And your glitch is you can only keep two, or at that point I was up to three. Right. Still not, not Still enough. Still not enough. And so I had to ask these mm -hmm. particular clients to find other other people. Mm -hmm. I have, you know, yeah. It's just an ethical thing that there's no way I'm not always, I, I also hold a belief that I am not the right therapist for everybody. Right. I'm not always going to be the right therapist for my clients. Mm -hmm. There are going to be times where we have completed the work that we can do together and it's time to go find somebody else or to be done for a while. Right. And so I really didn't have a strong push to say, I have to keep these people, you know, or, you know, mm -hmm. they're my clients. And sometimes I've seen that with some therapists, but I don't, I've never believed in that. And so asking them to go elsewhere was, mm -hmm. was the right thing to do. Yeah. It still stings a little though. It still stings a little bit. And I feel mm -hmm. badly because a lot of the, a, a lot of the ones that I'd asked to leave were people I'd been working with for multiple years mm -hmm. and I had a really good understanding of their history and I don't know. So maybe getting mm -hmm. a fresh start with somebody else will give them a new pathway into what it is they're dealing with from a new angle and it'll be good for them. And mm -hmm. you never know what's going to happen, but I had to do that. Yeah. But when I went back in, in that very first client, I had a glitch on, on the mm -hmm. basic simple thing of client describes something that they did. I have historical knowledge of, of them having done this sort of thing before. I want to put together an observation of this pattern and then say mm -hmm. it to them. I could hold those three pieces in my head. The moment I tried to add the fourth piece, which was getting it out of my mouth, the entire thing just fell apart. Right. Um, what I started doing for a coping mechanism was writing things down. Mm -hmm. I have 16 feet of whiteboard behind me because oh. my office used to be a classroom when this building held the classroom. It's a converted mill building. Mm -hmm. um, a little jealous about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is lovely. Uh, it is one of the things that if I change offices in the building, that whiteboard goes with me. Thank you very much. Yeah. yeah. Um, or I get a one similar in size or something. I get, mm -hmm. you know, I probably only need about six feet of, of whiteboard. That's about functional, yeah. would be about right. But it was really useful. And so I started writing things down mm -hmm. as a tool because I needed to externalize and not hold pieces in my head. And, and yeah, that whole get it out of your head, get it somewhere where it's a more permanent storage someplace trusted source yeah, and I trusted could trust source. the whiteboard mm -hmm. behind me and put it somewhere. Um, and that was a help. I started using a little bit more mind mapping mm -hmm. on the board behind me and making connections that as I saw things, I would draw lines. Right. I would draw connections and make arrows and things. And then afterwards I could describe what I had drawn. Mm -hmm. It meant I didn't have to think about it fresh again. It was right. already there. And the nice thing about it from a 
record's perspective is then you can take a picture, put the picture in the file, yeah. erase the whiteboard, next client. Or actually, it's not that I'm putting the picture in the file, it's that mostly mm-hmm. it's the clients who are taking pictures of them and taking them home so that they have them for reference for epiphanies and things they have figured out. Because mm-hmm. sometimes once I've started drawing a thing, I'll hand the markers to the clients and say, here. Yeah, because now they're, they're starting to make the same connections. They're starting to make the same connections and they'll add components and they'll do mm-hmm. things and they will draw things in ways that make sense for them. And then they will take pictures of it. Okay. That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's really awesome. Um, I never, I never thought of, using a mind map in uh, as a just a, an organizational get notes down make the connections for yourself tool yeah but not in this way and that's uh, i that's awesome i've always mm-hmm. believed in when teaching mm-hmm. that you need to teach multimodal mm-hmm. and if you're just using words if you're just using talk therapy you are missing a thing right there is such a process that happens in writing things down that we know about. Mm-hmm. Why not give this tool to, to people? I used to do it on pieces of paper where I'd sit with them and I would hand them paper and say, draw stuff out, write things right. out. Let's write mm-hmm. things together. We'd sit at a table or we'd sit on the floor. Mm-hmm. And I would often draw the words that they were saying in ways that made sense. And then mm-hmm. I would hand it to them and then they would mark it up and they would make changes. Right. And then they would take the paper with them or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes when we're dealing with hard things, then they would get to uh, shred the paper. Yeah. Stomp it up, stomp on mm-hmm. it. Uh, you know, using using physical objects to, to process things and put emotion mm-hmm. was always useful. Yeah. And so the whiteboard, while I've been recovering from the concussion, has been huge, huge help. Um, I'm still, I'm glitching less. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Uh, the Friday I saw the neurologist the following mm-hmm. Wednesday, I saw a concussion specialist and he says, do you notice the fact that your right eye doesn't move the same way that your left one does? Whoa, no, no <laughs> I'm going to guess you didn't. Yeah. So there's this thing called convergence mm-hmm. So take your pen and hold it about arms reach ahead of you. Okay. Focus on it mm-hmm. and bring it towards your nose and keep okay. focusing on it. Don't mm-hmm. look at me. Look at the pen. Oh, I'm looking at the pen. Okay, do your eyes continue to be able to focus on the pen all the way to your nose? Uh, right up until it hits the limits of my prescription, yes. Right. So <laughs> but, when I yeah, would but, do that, mm-hmm. I would get to about six to eight inches. I'll show you with the camera. About okay, yeah, yeah. And then my right eye stopped moving. Oh. And then it would just be my left eye that continued to focus on the pen as it came close to my nose, and my right eye did not move. Which you may not notice unless you're doing a lot of up-close work. And my reading is outside of that distance. Mm-hmm. Nothing was, was that close. Yeah. Um, and that's when I recognized that my concussion had gone from uh, understanding it as a cognitive thing with the brain glitches mm-hmm. that I was having to having a visual component. And right. he's the one who pointed out how you don't get one without the other and that mm-hmm. there has to be an ocular, a, a sound component. And that's what's right. causing the dizzy spells. And he gave me some physical therapy. I went home to do that physical therapy and I did it that night. Mm-hmm. And the entire next day, it felt like I had norovirus. Now, the hard part is, is that Wex, <laughs> my husband, did have norovirus yeah. over the weekend. He had picked up on a pot party Saturday night. 
So he had been sick. He came down with it on Sunday. So he was sick Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, part of Wednesday. And, and you don't what? know now if it's the exercise or the norovirus. Or the norovirus, yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know. But yeah. um, uh, luckily there was Compazine. Mm-hmm. And uh, I called him, I uh, called the, the concussion specialist. And he said, don't do that exercise again until you no longer need the composite. Okay. That took nine days. Yeah. Which is what makes me think that it was not norovirus. Mm-hmm. Because I did the I did all three exercises. So when you do physical therapy for a hurt shoulder yeah. or a strained muscle, you get an immediate feedback that you have done too much. Mm-hmm. I did not have that with doing these because you don't know what is too much. You can't feel it. You're not, except for those times where I would get immediately nauseous or immediately a headache. But here I am two and a half weeks post concussion and I did them. I got no immediate physical feedback. So I did Mm. all three exercises to the max without any break in between in a row. Because I'm a moron. Yeah, well, and and you're used to working out and doing the reps, man, and doing the reps. I'm used to doing the reps, and I'm used to getting feedback from my system that if it Mm -hmm. is bad, I will know and I will know to slow down. I will get. I've been in physical therapy now for about four years for various different injuries, (laughs) and I figured I would get feedback from my system. I'm really self-aware about what's going on with my body. I did not get any feedback from my system that it was too much. Because it isn't happening in the same way that you're used to with it the feedback. It isn't happening in the same way, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, my physical therapist also does concussion. Did you know that there's physical therapy specifically for concussions? Uh, actually, I was, uh, or I did. My, my sister is uh, the nursing practice manager for a very well-known neurologic clinic in the western part of North Carolina that deals with a lot of um, sports-related injuries. injuries. Sports head injuries, yeah. Um, So um, there is... There's a whole series of things I have learned since then. Um, Also that apparently a a reasonably famous professional wrestler likes to drive and talk to his daughter on the phone very loudly the entire time she's in a car behind him talking to him. And then they yell at each other across the parking lot at each other as they're going (laughs) into the building. But, you know, little things like that. But, but overall, yeah, you, you know, yeah, there's, there's there's PT for all sorts of things that we don't think of as right. needing PT because we don't necessarily think of it as right. physical. Right. And so uh, I did this PT from the concussion specialist because he mm-hmm. says doing that at home preps you for doing it and the uh, doing it with a special uh, with a, uh, a physical therapist. Mm-hmm. Uh, except that it was more challenging than we had expected. Mm-hmm. And so when I finally did see my physical therapist for it, he, pardon me, rather than doing things at arm's distance, he had me do it at 10 foot distance. Okay. Yeah. Looking at a wall and taking it to that level and not challenging mm-hmm. what's called convergence. Right. Um, which is the thing I could not do. Yeah. Um, two months to the day. Mm-hmm. Um, 
this uh, week ago Saturday, I did all the things ever. It's like when you stop being sick and you recognize you're not sick and then you just do. Yeah. I started doing all the things and I kept waiting to be fatigued because that was another thing. I was taking one to two naps a day. Mm-hmm. Doing ordinary things exhausted me. Yeah. Um, while I was seeing four clients a day, I would do two hours, have a break, and then two hours. I would have to close my eyes and rest mm-hmm. in between those two clients or I couldn't function. Right. Um, I didn't need that anymore. I had stopped napping. And so I got to see all of these hallmarks mm-hmm. of getting better. And that Saturday, was just like a, like a light switch went off. My brain was working again. And when I went back to the concussion specialist three days later, four days mm-hmm. later, he said, your eyes are fine. He, got all, the, he got all the way in <laughs> and <laughs> my nose. Um, and in the numbers where I, I dropped uh, on a scale of zero to, I don't know what the high end is, but I had a score of 48. My concussion symptoms were down to a 17. Okay. So, yeah. Much, much, much better. better. Mm-hmm. So we are supposed to follow up in a couple of weeks, but even here where I'm working with you and we're talking mm-hmm. and the screen is about arms distance away. Yeah. Um, I finally had to put my glasses on because I was getting, I was getting queasy. Okay. Yeah. It was too much. I, as I was talking about doing these exercises and I'm watching my own hands and I'm doing <laughs> things, I was getting queasy again. So I'm not a hundred percent. Right. But, but you're I'm, a lot further. I am a lot further Mm -hmm. and in it, I am recognizing now um, uh, emotional things that still need to be dealt with, which is Mm -hmm. the, the burnout. Unfortunately came Christmas and we went away for four days to visit relatives while the kids were off from school and we put our dog in the kennel and Mm -hmm. we picked her up on Friday and Saturday she stopped eating. Yeah. Yeah. So she came to the end of her life cycle. Mm-hmm. So now there's grief. Yeah, on top of yeah, and so the grief hits me the way grief does, completely randomly, unexpected, mm-hmm. intensely, and it has now taken over from where the concussion was, <laughs> in place of still being able to process and right. do more of my healing work from having been burned out. Mm-hmm. And I'm still noticing deficits that are specifically like when I'm, so today I got hit with a, uh, a grief bomb over lunch mm-hmm. and I noticed that it impacted the work I had with the next client. Yeah. Uh, I didn't sleep as well last night. Well, that was in part our own fault. Cause we went, do you know who AVB is? Arthur Van Buren, uh, uh, it's- the EDM performer. Oh, 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 Armin Van Buren. Yes. Armin Van Buren. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Oh, you got. Him, we saw oh. him live last night. I'm jealous. Okay. <laughs> um, that's, that's all right. I saw Dead South this past Friday, so ah, it's okay. Yeah. Except that the venue that we went to had doors open at 6 30, uh, first act go on at 8. Mm-hmm. We played for uh, almost the full two hours until AVB went on at mm-hmm. 10 p.m., who then played for two hours. Yeah, see, I'm too I too old for that. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I had it was doors at seven. Music first act went on at eight. Second act went on around nine. Third, and then the uh, Dead South hit the stage around ten, and and I guess wrapped up around midnight. Then, yeah, I mean, but this is on post. We had uh, Arisha this past weekend. Yes. 
So, this is true. Yeah. So here's the other thing that happened in October, uh, November is mm-hmm. uh, October, November is when all of the stuff for planning a January science fiction convention really starts to kick into high gear. Yes. So I also had the stress of the convention looming mm-hmm. on top of everything else. Yeah, because so, we were talking about scheduling, and we're like, "Do we want to do it before or after?" And you're like, "After." after I'm like, yeah, after makes after. sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, Arija being right now a three thousand person, mm-hmm. many ages, uh, science fiction, fantasy, and plus science uh, convention. Uh, my job has been the same that I've done for the last, uh, often for six years, as the guest mm-hmm. of liaison. It's when we do all of the programming stuff. Is October, October, mm-hmm. November. This right. is a lot of being able to manage multiple people's schedules and many moving parts. Oh yeah, which I could not do. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I made sure to have an assistant, and my assistant uh, is an absolute rock star, and she just picked up everything. And my job was just to make sure that all the ticky boxes got checked and that we weren't losing. <laughs> and so I kept track of the timeline. She processed all the emails because I couldn't look at my screen. Right. Yeah. I couldn't follow emails. I couldn't make sure things were done because I wasn't supposed to be looking at screens and most of the communication for things was coming in via email. Yeah. Backtracking to stresses and things that... Mm-hmm. Um, um, so December... So here I was where my concussion did not resolve until seven uh, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Mm-hmm. The first guest came in on Wednesday, so four <laughs> days later. I did not really have the concussion resolve. I went to a a meeting at the hotel. I was Mm -hmm. there for two and a half or three hours. And at the two hour mark, I found the darkest corner that I could put my sunglasses Mm -hmm. on, uh, put some quiet music on in my ears to drown out the the tinnitus, pulled my hoodie up over my face. Mm -hmm. And my husband was also a div head. So he still had stuff for the meeting to do. And I just stayed in that corner. Okay, so the, the hotel did a new thing. And okay. they put all of these video screens. There's a giant wall video screen that's is, like... Is this the same hotel we were in? Yes. Okay. I so did that like that hotel, yeah. So that wall that used to be a waterfall... Okay, yeah, yeah. When you first walk in the doors, is now a video hmm. screen. Oh. Yeah, I know. Oh. Well. I know. They show really pretty pictures of sky views and things from mountains mm-hmm. and all of these interesting scapes, but... The other place they put a video screen is um, as you go down the escalators to the ballrooms, mm-hmm. there's a video screen that is over the doors that are downstairs yep. so that you are seeing this beautiful walk through the woods, which is a visual mind fuck as you're also trying to process going down an escalator, which right. is another visual problematic mm-hmm. place. <laughs> Who thought this was a good idea? Never had a concussion. Because right. Went for the meeting, I started walking towards that, had the trees moving f- towards me, had the escalator moving away from me. I was, I was in a panic attack because the other thing they don't tell you about uh, concussions is there's an emotional component. Oh, yeah. So my anxiety would spike like you would not believe. And suddenly I can't breathe. My chest is tight. I'm queasy. I'm crying. I'm mm-hmm. shaking. I turn around and I walk away. Luckily, there are people sitting at the cafe behind me, and I went and sat with friends for a while. Right. 
until the, the panic went away. And eventually what I had to do was not look at the escalator and not look at the moving screen. And I just looked at my toes. Mm-hmm. I had my vision completely focused straight down, which was not great for my balance. No. But but that was how I got down the escalator. And if that yeah. wasn't going to work, then I would go find where the elevator is because I wasn't quite sure where the elevator was at that point. I remember the escalator. I, I have no. I don't think I ever had to use the elevator that didn't go to a, a, a hotel room. The elevator one, so, yeah. at that place is to your right in what looks like a closet. Of course. It's off to the right of the side there behind by the restaurant. So, um, so when I went to the hotel for the event, I specifically mm-hmm. went there and I stood at the top of the escalator and I watched the mm-hmm. forest and I watched the escalator and I watched the forest and I watched the escalator and I had a <laughs> reaction. It's like, oh, cool. This is better. <laughs> Much better, yeah, yeah. But that only resolved four days before the con. And you've already got, and now it's a good thing because you've got people coming in, you've got... Yep, the guests yeah. are already in as of the Wednesday or Thursday, Thursday before. Mm-hmm. Uh, not Wednesday, Thursday before. Yeah. But um, so in this chain of burnout, <laughs> concussion, dog, family illness, convention, and then death of my dog and then the actual conventions rather than just the prep of it right i've had no break there has been no time to actually work on the burnout however mm-hmm. uh i was getting to the gym i was supposed to go to the gym mm-hmm. the first time i went to the gym the walking on the treadmill was too much for my head oh it bounced too much okay the, the repeated uh concussion from your heels right on the yeah because it does react very differently than, differently than concrete than concrete or of course dirt but or yeah. dirt yeah um and so i also couldn't exercise which was one of the things i wanted to be able to do mm-hmm. in recovery from uh concussion i couldn't swim oh god no oh no no i i didn't even think about that but oh dear god yeah because your ears are the swimming and turning your head oh so I couldn't mm-hmm. even do a gentle thing like sitting in the water because uh, and sitting in the water and even just treading water or anything like that mm-hmm. messes with your equilibrium. Right. So I could do water walking, but that was about it. But even then, um, right after I'd seen the concussion specialist, uh, mm-hmm. it was Wednesday. That Thursday, the Star Wars movie came out. Oh, man. So I asked him, we have tickets for Friday night. Can we go? And he said, wear sunglasses, mm-hmm. wear earplugs, yep. and use the force judiciously. <laughs> <laughs> and I have tickets for Thursday night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So my, my concussion specialist is also a geek. We like our geeks. Yeah, no, no. I think we saw it Wednesday night because I had tickets specifically like on, I got like, I think it's the second showing at all around here. And I'm like, yeah, we're going. Yes. You know. So so. we went. And Mm -hmm. what was the scene that messed with me the most? The ocean. Oh my God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the only one that made me queasy that I couldn't watch. The starfighter, the the star Mm -hmm. battles and everything and the lasers and things shooting at me did not bother the concussion at all. Actually, I had more problems watching the opening credits as the text scrolled (laughs) than I did. Uh, and the water, those were the two things that, that mm-hmm. I could not do. Oh, and we went to an AMC theater where uh, they had a thing that swooshed and moved as it went through their opening thing. And I also couldn't watch that. 
Yeah, we um, ours is a regal, and they always open with this sort of roller coaster thing where yes, it looks like yes, you're in the. I do just that a, no, yeah, that nope. would be. We went to a regal theater in Pennsylvania while we were in in mm-hmm. uh, away for the holidays, and to see Knives Out, which was fantastic. We I haven't seen it yet. Haven't see seen it, it yet. It, see it, see it, I know it, we have to fantastic. see it. Yes. Um, yeah. And they had the roller coaster thing, and I couldn't watch that either. Yeah. Um. So. All of these stresses and trying to get better, uh, I was able to meditate. I started meditating, mm-hmm. except I couldn't put earplugs in to do the meditation mm-hmm. to make them be quiet because of the tinnitus. Right. Um, I have been working on breathing. I have been spending my meditation rather than listening to a meditation. It mm-hmm. is I'll put anything on music or something and I will stretch. Yeah, I've been trying to, to to stretch so that my body doesn't tighten up too much in my inactivity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm still getting queasy spells periodically, not as often, um, but I'm mm-hmm. working, and I've decided that for all of January, I'm still only working four client hours a day, and yeah. I'm going to continue that through February, because at this point now, I now have to think about now that I'm on the other end of most of the concussion. How do I start really doing the work to recover from the burnout finally? Here it is. So that was October, November, December, mm-hmm. Jan, three months, a quarter of a year later on the thing that took more than six months to accumulate. And what am I going to do work-wise? Right. How am I going to do this? And I am completely blessed that I have a partner that can support us and that I can mm-hmm. work as few hours as I need. And he said that, you know, uh, my husband reiterated that the reason I get to do this work in the way that I'm doing it is because mm. I want to. Yep. And if what I need to do is not work, he will make sure that everything will be yeah. paid. That this is all he recognizes. This is a life calling for me. Mm-hmm. That I have to do this work and that he supports me to make it possible. Oh yeah. I mean, we're, we're not that much different. Um, except that right now times are good, but when we, when we first, got together and well, neither of us really had a job, but, um, yeah. or much of any income. Right. Um, which is Wex aw- was still in graduate school on a, on a grad students thing. And I was working in a residential facility, working with adults with dual diagnosis, making so little I could have applied for state supported housing. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, uh, unemployed tech worker and a fledgling hasn't even, hasn't has sold, but not really, but don't know what's going to happen with her first book. Both of us like a year out from our divorces and yeah, mm-hmm. you know, we weren't, was that? Yes. We were both, uh, recently out from our respective previous relationships as yeah. well. Uh, yeah. But we, we had that period where, you know, yes, I'm the one who's able to provide health insurance and the mortgage while you build this career. And on the flip side, this last year, you know, she was contributing more towards the mortgage and the health insurance because I was unemployed for right. a lot longer than I anticipated being. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, Alan's job still provides us the insurance. Mm-hmm. There is no group social workers insurance mm-hmm. not practice. There's group uh, life insurance. I have long-term disability through 
the National Association of Social Workers. Right. But there's no short-term disability available. So here I am out with a concussion with no short-term disability. I am not working and I'm not making money. Yeah. So all of you in Europe and Canada who are listening right now, yes, it really is this bad in the U.S. Just say it. So here I am now still thinking about how do I recover from my concussion and finishing concussion and working on Mm -hmm. burnout and what happens Monday while I am packing up from at the science fiction convention. I stub my foot on the steel caster chair and I I did not break the toe. (laughs) Okay. But it's a really lovely shade of purple. Right. Uh, I did go to the ER eventually and they did X, not to the, I went to urgent care and they x-rayed it to let me know it is not broken, but I still can't do walking yet. Yeah. (laughs) I still can't do the thing that I want to do, you know, go to the gym and just walk. I was able to do it a little bit during once the concussion mostly resolved, you know, Mm -hmm. over the last week or two of, I was able to get to the gym twice. Um, Yeah my friend who is uh, the one who had the stroke is also now dealing with cancer treatments and Mm. we would help each other get to the gym. Right. Even if it's only being able to walk on the treadmill for 10 minutes or 15 minutes or whatever it is, we're at least getting out of our houses and we're doing a little bit of movement and we are supporting each other in this. But now I have to wait till the toe heals because I can't do that rolling motion yet. Yeah. And that's going to, and that's going to take a, a couple of weeks for the sprain to heal. And so that's still out of the picture. I have to get back to, so I have to figure out how to get the other pieces of my self care back into place while I'm still, well, grieving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, Facebook in its infinite memory wisdom decided that this morning was the day to give me dog pictures mm-hmm. from six years ago when we adopted her. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so, it's, it's just so good about that. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. that, that kind of detonated me. And so I'm still mm-hmm. tearful now as I think about it. And yeah. grief is going to take its own time. Mm-hmm. So there's another emotional thing to process on top of the other one. And at least when I was going through my first round of burnout, yeah. and I, I say first round because as much as I protected against it, I can identify one, maybe two more times since then where I let myself hit burnout. Nowhere near as bad as the first time, Mm -hmm. but I was able to recognize this is what's happening. This is what's going on. Mm -hmm. Here's how we need to deal with it. Um, But you really can't do that unless you've been through it. And I'd never, I had, I had had other sorts of burnout before. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, a very sudden thing. Um, I don't. There's there's a number of these things that my clients have heard me say. Mm-hmm. Um, what this is is me being willing to be more open and out about this process mm-hmm. as a therapist. That your therapist is a human being too. Yeah, and that. While we are still sitting in that chair, we are Mm -hmm. trying to do our best to support ourselves and to do things, Mm -hmm. but we are human too. And sometimes life gets to be too much and too much happens. So organizationally, since burnout and with work, what I have Mm -hmm. been trying to do is putting in and relying more on some of the systems that I have. Right. Um, I've added 
Google uh, uh, Keep. So handy. My yep. list. Mm-hmm. So I've been keeping lots <laughs> and lots of things that are good. Um, Slack for we've been using it for the convention mm-hmm. as this communication system. We also use it for Storium. And there's a lot of fun social stuff that goes on in Storium, but I have a room yeah. in there that's for each of the games that I'm in to, to mm-hmm. where we can, as players, coordinate and communicate. Yeah. Uh, Storium is a text-based story system with mm-hmm. challenge cards yep. that help guide the story. And you have a storyteller, or you can do it collaboratively, or they're working on a platform for all ages. They're, they've put out one for – they're working on teen modules. Um, but – we use Slack to, to, to support us yeah. there because the internal conversational systems are a bit clunky. <laughs> Hold on. Now I, now I have to check something because I want to say, and I need to verify, um, there was, I think Ursula might have been one of the writers who built a world for the Kickstarter. Oh, neat. Um. I did not get in on the Kickstarter level yeah. when it started, but I have friends, uh, people that I write with who do. Yeah, but like Murr and uh, Murr Lafferty and Chuck Wendager are still neat. on their advisory committee. And oh, neat! Yeah, tell them to make a dark mode. God damn it! All right, I'll, I'll, yeah, okay, hold on. <laughs> tell Murr that they need Murr, a dark mode for Storium. Storium, dark mode. Okay, there. I've made a note. (laughs) (laughs) I am not above using my connections to make stuff happen. You know, it's 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 important. It's important. And and don't quote me on this. I I need to verify. Right. You know that, but I they're still involved. But I get to say it out loud here, and the people who read this, you know, if other people are in Mm -hmm. the platform, there is already a uh, thing in their forums for requests for new features. If you find it and thumb it up, you know add your comments to it about how useful this would be. The more yep. people say yes, it will be a thing. And that would be lovely. And many of us, because it's not just a nice thing. It's not just a nice thing for people with me with a, with a concussion. Right. It's about accessibility. Oh yeah. Yeah. And accessibility is huge. Accessibility is so important. It is. And the fact that they are not, you know, they have other ways of making this accessible, but there are a lot of writers out there that are vision impaired. Yeah. So if you make it a dark mode and they have this, uh, this would be huge if you have a way of being able to do, you know, they have their own ways of doing voice to text, but mm-hmm. if you have some vision, the dark mode is easier. At right. least that's what I've been told. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so that's one of the things. So Slack, Slack has this ability to remind mm-hmm. you of shit. Isn't it great? Uh, I've been, I've been, uh, Alan's the one who's been, been doing this most, but I've been using Slack Remind <laughs> for a number of things. At one point I am out with somebody and the concussion symptoms at heart. I go looking through my stuff and I have no composing with me and I message Alan going, mm-hmm. this was an error. I need to put some in my bag. He set right. a Slack reminder for me for later on that night that I would find that would just show up on my phone that the Slack would go <laughs> off and says, put composing in your bag. It's lovely. It's amazing what you can do with it once you start digging into just the built-in features. I've started I've started to explore building a, a chat bot that can do things for me by sending it commands. That would um, be cool. Yeah. 
Um, other things that I'm doing is I started over 200 days ago uh, using um, where is that program? Dalio. I heard about it on oh, yeah. your show. And as a moods tracker, it has been wonderful. I have customized mm-hmm. it to where it's not just a moods tracker. It is a uh, got done list. Oh, excellent. So basically every day I got to, to look at it and, uh, oops, uh, mm-hmm. don't delete. Um, all the things I'm looking to do, like taking my vitamins. Have I done yoga today? Mm-hmm. Have I gotten convention work done today? Have I relaxed? Um, have <laughs> Not I, yet. Uh, shopping, meals, right. you know, shower. Have I drunk enough water today? Have I done any writing? Have I had any dizzy spells? Because I was getting dizzy spells prior to the, my, uh, to the concussion. And right. so there were all of these, some of these medical things I wanted to track that I had no good way of doing that I started doing through Dahlia. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Be the ability. I mean, it's got a text box at the bottom, but I don't use it really like a diary. Mm-hmm. I just make a couple of quick notes in there so that I have context for why certain days look a particular way. Right. Um, but I'm on uh, my streak is 221 days now. So it's about it's it's also helped you you that you've built it as a habit. Yes, I have definitely built this as a habit. Mm -hmm. The other thing I started using is uh, just a habit tracker. Mm -hmm. Um, In addition, I tried using the habit tracker before. Right. Uh, The one that I was using, I'm looking at my phone. It is not there. Why is that not in my product? No, I bet you I know why, because it's in my productivity folder, not my (laughs) I have a productivity folder, goddammit, because of you. That's right. (laughs) <laughs> I have I have one. Yep. On yep. every device. Yep. Sometimes the just, devices have the same things in the folder. <laughs> yep. It's just habits, mm-hmm. and it was a simple thing that was supposed to help me get certain ones done multiple times because you could set it for variable amounts. Like if you wanted mm-hmm. to go to the gym and you only want to go to the gym three times a week, you could set it that you're going to the gym three times a week, and at the end of the week, it will tell you whether you met your goal or not, without right. it being an everyday thing that you got to see your, your mm-hmm. success rate at the amount that you set it for, right. which none of the other trackers I had seen have. All the other ones are build a daily routine. This one happens to have a variable ability to. Yeah. But uh, between that and the other thing that I haven't been able to manage to do to get back to, into is food tracking. Yeah. That's... I use my fitness, my fitness pal for, um, when I am doing it, I do better. But now in thinking about the fact that I haven't been able to do it, I'm going to chalk that up to too much is too much. Mm-hmm. And then the concussion, and that would be an extra layer of processing that I haven't been able to do. I've done it here and there, you know, on occasion. Yeah. To the amount that I want. The other thing that I was trying to do on a daily basis was use a program I'm going to talk up a lot. It's called Migraine Buddy. Oh, hey, this is, yeah, all right. So, I know a lot of people are going to want to hear about this. So let me tell you about Migraine Buddy. Migraine Buddy gives you the ability to not just record your migraines, mm-hmm. but to actually help you figure out what your triggers might be. Oh, okay. It will remind you to take your meds. It will remind you of when your doctor's appointments are, if you put the information in. Um. 
It keeps track also of the weather when you do have a migraine so that you can see uh-huh. if your migraines are pressure sensitive. When you record a migraine, I'm going to put this up at the video for you. Hopefully it'll, it'll, you, uh, there we go. Okay. Yeah. It gives you a start time and an end time. Mm-hmm. You can start time it for now, for some time past, or you don't know. Uh, the next screen is what type of attack is it? Is it a migraine? Mm-hmm. Is it a tension headache? Is it a cluster mm-hmm. headache? And it is completely uh, customizable. There's a plus button that allows you to set what your symptoms are, what mm-hmm. your type of headache is. Um, the next is a pain scale, a very reasonable pain scale with numbers and colors and faces to help you figure out I, how bad I, it is. I know that pain scale and list, Yes. It also then gives you a chart with oh, where wow. it starts for your head and, and neck mm-hmm. on front and back about where your migraines start or where they are hurting so that you can track location on your body. I like that they include tooth. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, there is then medicine. What medicine do you take? And yep. then it gives you a timer. You can set a timer of when you've taken the medicine. Mm-hmm. And then it will hold that timer and you can go back for how long it takes for the medicine to kick in. So how long it's been yeah. since you took it. So sometimes with a migraine, if it hasn't helped you with an hour, you can take additional medicine. And when you're in the middle of a migraine, you may not be paying attention or remember when you took your medicine, but yeah. this will keep track of the time for you. I'm taking my medicine now. And then you hit the timer. Mm -hmm. Then you check it. Oh, Mm -hmm. it's only been 45 minutes. Let me give it another 15 minutes. Oh, look, it's been an hour and 15 and I'm still not better. Let me take more or try something else. Yeah. Um, The next is it gives you a list of potential things that will help your migraine. Mm -hmm. Uh, Reliefs that you may not have known about. And then it's got a plus thing on the bottom to where you can also add your own. Right. That's pretty cool. Then it lists symptoms what symptoms you have while you have your mm-hmm. migraine. And again, you can add your own. Now, can you put your own icons or they, they icon? Uh, they provide your icons, but I believe, I don't remember whether you can add your own. I have not added it recently. <laughs> um, it will then, it has a thing of what activities have you missed because mm-hmm. of having a migraine. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because sometimes it's location-based. And the next screen is very much is location. Where does the migraine hit? So that you can see if there is a consistent pattern. Mm-hmm. Using this at one point, I recognized that all of my migraines were happening at work. And at the time, I was in a mill building where they had moved the smoking station from farther away to the building. People had moved it close to, and the smoke was coming up into my office. And then we have to go downstairs and yell at them. Then I went to the management and mm-hmm. we moved my office across the hall. Oh, okay. Because she had tried moving them and she couldn't. <laughs> she moved them and they moved back. And, and you moved, moved them. Back. And, yeah, huh? yeah. Because it was winter and they were trying to use the awning under the, mm-hmm. by the door. Um, it has a daily tracker to where you can track your symptoms. Mm-hmm. And part of this is what, what could have triggered it. So I had a very, very long list of potential triggers Wow, yeah. And I added my own. And for me, what came down to it is um, they were mechanical when my neck was mm-hmm. out, when I had not had enough sleep, when I had skipped a meal, and when mm-hmm. I was um, exposed to fragrance. Fragrance is a migraine trigger for me. Yeah. Um, 
And so I've had to take it seriously. Mm-hmm. There's then an open space for notes. This is all just go. in tracking when you have had it. Had yeah, this is, this is all one app. This is, this is pretty incredible. This is, yeah. just, no, this is just the part of the app for tracking when you are in a migraine, all of the things that you can put in. Wow. So it also gives you a way of having a daily tracker that just goes day to day where you can put your symptoms and then it helps you figure out over a three and five day span, what are the potential things that could set you off? It then gives you a report. It lets you know how often you have been. It has been really good about telling me that I am now migraine free for four weeks. There you go. But migraine tracker, (laughs) they are continuing to expand it. They have Mm -hmm. added um, advice. They have added information. They have a blog on it where they Mm -hmm. give you, information about some things that you know may or may not have known about migraines and i've learned a bunch of things from their blog um they're always looking for feedback about how to make this more useful they're reactive to their community this i have every neurologist and every person who have mm-hmm. ever treats con- uh, migraines that i have shown this to says that this is the most comprehensive migraine <laughs> app they have ever seen so yeah now i mean i'm immediately going to be messaging a couple friends who i know have strong migraine problems be like, Hey, Hey, you, you, you should check this out if you aren't already. Right. Um, the other thing being an individual who, uh, I am, um, hitting 50, um, is a program called clue. Clue is a menstruation tracker. Ah, yes. Used as both a thing for, Tracking if you want to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. For me, it is being really useful to watch what things change as I get closer to menopause. And it yep. also has a blog in it that teaches you things about <laughs> cycling and people who have mm-hmm. periods and what are some of the things. And I've learned they've even started adding things in there for menopause and what happens in the changes is your body towards menopause. It is completely customizable as well. And Clue allows you to track daily, mm-hmm. but it gives you a ridiculous number of things that you can, uh, that you can track. Um, it allows you to track pain, your emotions, how much sleep you've had, mm-hmm. what your sex drive is like, what your general energy is like, food cravings, digestion, skin, your mental focus, yeah. uh, motivation, whether you're feeling <laughs> social or not. It gives you a place where you can tag and make your own. I mean, and that's only about one third of the list. That just happens to be what I track. Right. And there's more that you yeah. can do to really get an idea and understand your body as a hormonal entity. Totally going to link that one in. Um, um, so that's been a thing that I have been using now for multiple years that I've recently tried to start using on the day, you know, in the last year because I need to know what's going on mm-hmm. given that I'm 50. Yeah. Well, I'm not that far behind. <laughs> it's okay. I'm not that yes. far behind. And that your hormones are going to do their own cycling thing and they it's, don't have any apps for guys for, for no. signed male at birth, testosterone based creatures. Right. Yeah. Cause testosterone is a hell of a drug. It is. Yeah, it is. Um, so. <laughs> also in here that I have been doing is drink water. Mm-hmm. It's a lovely little app. That's just drink water. It's a little water droplet, <laughs> droplet as an, as an icon. Um, there it is. A little water drop. And you can set it for how much water you plan to drink in a day. And mm-hmm. then it reminds you, it puts up a reminder. It takes that amount 
and breaks it up across the day. So basically what it's asking you to drink is to somewhere between four and eight ounces every 90 minutes. Not so bad. Not so bad. And that would get me 96 ounces in my awake cycle because you can also Mm -hmm. set it for between what hour and what hour it should nag you. Oh, that's, yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Um, And so it's trying to help me stay hydrated because hydration also helps with concussion Mm -hmm. and migraines Mm -hmm. and uh, grief and all of these things. Staying hydrated is very important. Yeah. I I think we forget sometimes that our body runs on water. Yes. We are a water-based organism, even if we don't look like it. Yes. Um, I have a meditation mindfulness app that I have been working on. It's called aware Mm -hmm. and it teaches you about mindfulness. It has a free 21 day initial program. And then afterwards it has like a one time four ninety nine thing to get all of it. And uh, I have been meditating off and on for more than 20 years. This is gentle and useful Mm. and, a little ableist in what it says. Um, yeah. It's a male voice, uh, not American. So his enunciation and, and elocution sometimes is a little weird. Some of the ways he pronounces words are not the way I'm used to hearing them. It always makes me laugh because <laughs> uh, it jars me out of the space to hear the word in, in a different pronunciation. But it is a lovely app that I have been uh, enjoying. And uh, it starts out at five minutes of meditation. And at most, it gets to 20. But it also has yeah, a Yeah, that's not that bad. That yeah. You can do your own, you can set your own timer within it. And then it will remind you every so often that you're still meditating. It sets off a chime. Um, you know, all I have now is chakra balancing underwear, so they say. So. Chakra balancing underwear? Long story with the Twitter thread. Basically, it's seven pairs of underwear, each one is, each one the color of one of the chakras. And so, uh, chakra. yeah, chakra, yeah. Yes, not to yeah. chalk. No, <laughs> no. Uh, chakra balancing underwear. Now that sentence makes more sense because I don't always, I'm not always processing the words. As, That's, yeah, no, understandable. I might have, I might not have enunciated enough with that one, but yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what else, uh, I have games I'm supposed to be doing, uh, to work on my brain. And, oh, okay. Uh, one of them is a very sweet little game called teeny bubbles. Teeny bubbles. Teeny bubbles is you go through and it's a color thing and you are supposed to pop bubbles according to color matching or four colors of a bubble cause oh, okay. them to pop. Right, and they're right. puzzles. Mm-hmm. I could tell how bad my concussion symptoms were by how well I was able to focus on the puzzle or not, or whether all I wanted to do was throw my phone across the room. This is a, it's got very quiet, gentle music. It's supposed to be meditative. It's, mm-hmm. really, it's lovely. And really, sometimes it was too much. Yup. I, I usually go to end up with like... Marvel Puzzle Quest would be too much, but sort of that that simple three in a row, four in a row, five in a row match kind of game. Uh, what I've wound up playing a lot is the wooden block puzzles. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's a non-moving Tetris. Mm-hmm. And so I found one that doesn't have much in the way of ads, and I've been playing that a lot. Um, 
I'm trying to, those are a lot of the, the things that I have added, you know, either mm-hmm. I've already been using or I have added in. Um, but my phone has been a lot of my function because I could make this dark mode much more easily than I could my computer. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I also had the connection to the dog's vet on here. Mm-hmm. I was getting records. Um, and so a lot of my self-care was on here about food, about meditation, uh, my fitness pal, I was tracking my exercise. So my phone winds up being a little, very important to me for my self-care. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it makes sense uh, to, to that's, usually the device you have with you yes right and it is amazing how quickly so the funny story is is that when my husband and i first met i was i was a paper and pencil i was i had a mac classic that was not connected to the internet that i did all my writing on that was just a you know a giant word processor oh yeah and I met him and he was working on his PhD in computer science. And I had no idea about the internet and all of these things. <laughs> and I was living across the country and he said, and I said to him, so phone calls, you could write letters. And he goes, no, I sit no. in front of a computer screen all day. We could have instant communication. I left the convention where we met mm-hmm. with a modem and information on an ISP about getting an account. <laughs> <laughs> and, I am now very much a geek and yeah. I'm talking to you from still, I'm a Mac person and mm-hmm. here's my Mac laptop that I'm oh, yeah, no, talking I'm, to you I'm, from and I've owned nothing but Macs. I'm, I'm recording from a, uh, my, my new hire um, old job stock payout present to myself was a brand new 2019 MacBook Pro mm-hmm. fully loaded. So that's, that's what I'm using to record yeah. this because it was like, enough is enough. I need, uh, I, I am famously a, an open source advocate and a Linux user and yes. this and that. And it's like, I don't have time to muck about with these things and fight with audio drivers and this. I, I, you know, yes. Mac, it all just works. It Still have my works. Android phone. Yep. I have an Android phone. Yeah. That's what I have as well. Yeah. Uh, I much prefer the Android uh, phone. I would really love the information I was listening to you that you have a dock for your laptop. Uh, yes. Yeah. And so I, at some point would love mm-hmm. to get that info because I'm realizing I'm developing more hand issues from the, uh, trying to type on the laptop cause it's only a 13 inch. And so what yeah. I really need is a dock for my desk so I can use mm-hmm. this at my standing desk much more easily and, and connect things. And so yeah. a dock and is the right way to go. Yeah. It's the hinge dock. I will link it and I'll send you an email, but yeah, yeah I just, I just, I, I'm not going to move the camera around for this cause it's behind my, my work monitors. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where my work Mac lives and right. you just click it into place and if you've got the things connected, it just, everything just comes to life. And so, yeah, it's really nice. So um, we have spent a lot of time talking about how I got here and the things that mm-hmm. have kept me from healing. Yeah. Tools I've put into place into <laughs> helping uh, where I am now and to mm-hmm. make things better. But here's what recovery is going to look like because recovery from grief, recovery from burnout, recovery from anything big and emotional is in part self-care. Yep. And some of it means not just changing what you are doing now and changing the habits you are doing now. Mm-hmm. 
but part of my EMDR training is going back and finding the roots. Right. And so finding that root for me of how I hold on to traumatic memories was a very big thing and figuring out that it is a, in some ways, cultural, hello, orange kitty, um, a cultural piece Mm -hmm. and processing that trauma and, and working on healing that. Um, I now also get to how do you handle when you've made a mistake? Oh, yeah. Because I've made a number of them and continue to make a number of them while I am grieving and while I'm recovering from a concussion and while I am still dealing with burnout. And part of me is terrified of really mucking it up. And since I work with people who are coming to me for help, of making mm-hmm. things worse. Uh, yeah, and... I don't want to do that. One of the no. first things I was terrified as an intern of is how do I go out there and do this work with people when I have no experience? And somebody reminded me that as long as you are being a compassionate listener, mm-hmm. you really can't do any harm. But I'm at the point with some of my people where they want more than compassionate listening. They want to understand. They want tools. Mm-hmm. They want to be able to understand why they're doing things. Yeah. And I, even today, I hit somebody's trauma trigger with something that I said because it sounded too much like something negative that their mom said. And I didn't get it right because I can't mm-hmm. word right always. So I'm going to have to work on that and process that yep. with her next time. And yeah, this is sort of the place where radical forgiveness radical comes forgiveness, in. Radical self-compassion. Yeah. And yeah. hardest thing in the fucking world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you also have to look at the standard with which you hold yourself to. Mm-hmm. And my, my own therapist has pointed out to me that I hold myself to an ethical standard that's untenable. <laughs> Perfectionist? No, nah. not many things, except when it comes to what I want to do for people and mm-hmm. what I expect of myself. Yeah, and that makes it hard. It does. Yeah. And letting go of that and finding a, a happy medium what the gray area is yeah what what does good enough actually look like and that you know uh, to live to what i say i tell my my clients that i'm very straightforward i i I do a a 20 minute meet and greet Mm -hmm. so that people get to see if i'm the right person for them right no money changes hands there's no either of us can say no uh, from a trauma-informed perspective, how often do you get to go see a provider and you get to decide whether you're going to work with them or not? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that comes from a trauma-informed perspective that I, that I picked up and that I use. Um, and one of the things that I tell my clients coming in is that it's not if I'm going to make a mistake, it's when. Mm-hmm. And that I speak very plainly, very straightforward, and I want the same from them because I want them to tell me when I get it wrong. Yeah. And if we can't talk about when we get it wrong, where either of us get it wrong, then how are we going to build a relationship? How are we going to build Mm -hmm. a thing? And modeling for somebody how you deal with when you get something wrong in a healthy fashion is also has value. Oh, yeah. 
So oh, yeah. I have to actually live to my credo of I'm going to get <laughs> shit wrong and <laughs> I'm going to mess up and I want people to call mm -hmm. me on it and I'm going to apologize and I'm going to own my mistakes and I'm going to work on making them better. It is why I self-disclosed to my clients about what my limitations were with the concussion. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's why I don't come into the office when I'm sick and I'm compromised because I'm not, I can't do that with them and I want them to do self-care. So I'm going to model that behavior for them. Right. But when I make mistakes, I have to own them. And yeah, I'm going and to continue to make mistakes while I recover from burnout. Mm -hmm. And there's the component in there of when you have burnt out, you have probably gotten to the point of where the mistakes you are making are fairly large. Generally, yeah. So how do I not judge the small mistakes and feel like they are going to continue and be big and that it's just going to get worse from here? And yeah, and that's part of the healing. And that's going to be a day-to-day -day thing that oh, yeah. that we deal with. Oh yeah, and and I, I mean, different context, but uh, you know, I have been in a similar place. Yes, right. Burnout. Yeah, our yeah. brain maps similar emotion to similar emotion. It doesn't matter yeah. that the situations are different. You have been through burnout. You have been through these things. Yeah. The emotions are fairly similar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just. Uh, and this is the testosterone-fueled side of it. it. It presents differently, mm -hmm. right? Um, I, I, <clears throat> I get angry. I get unreasonably angry. I get terribly you make angry. A mistake? No, or... when I'm when I'm burning out. Oh, when you're burning out. Yeah, and then and then when I make a mistake, that makes me angry at myself, which fuels the anger, which builds up until the point where I've made the big mistake, and now I'm just furious at everything when i'm burning out yeah. rather than angry i get frustrated and frustrated can lead mm. to angry yeah but i i yeah yeah i mean my ex-wife knew something was going wrong when i literally throw a cell through a cell phone across the room when one of my i was a sales engineer i was supporting someone and one of my sales reps called me on the weekend to do something that was our IT staff and they had called me at home on like a Sunday mm. to ask me to do this yes. thing. Right. And instead of saying, in, instead of, you know, going, well, that was, haha, look at this guy. Or, I hung up the phone and I literally threw it across the room in anger. And that was when a clue was, right there. Yeah. yeah. When mm -hmm. I was burning out, I could not, so I would take my dog into the office because she had the unerring ability to know when people were upset. Mm -hmm. She would want them to pet the dog and to give them kisses until it felt better, until they mm -hmm. laughed. Mm -hmm. And she was really good about that. And I knew stuff was wrong when she would come over. And really, I just didn't want to deal with the dog. I would get frustrated and angry with her for wanting mm -hmm. to try to make me better. Right. And so people around me would remind me of what we say around the house is pet the dog, you'll feel better. Right. I don't want to pet the dog. I want her to stop whining at me. Pet the dog, you'll feel pet better. Yeah. Fine, I will pet the yeah. dog and I will pet the dog. And then she licked my nose and then I would laugh. It's like, oh, fine, you're right, dog. Damn it, you're right. Petting the dog yeah. always makes things better. 
And so does petting a tiny orange cat who's currently sitting next to my monitor out of screen and licking my hand every so often. So yeah. (laughs) Yes, there, there is definitely the therapy, you know, the unconditional Mm -hmm. love. Yeah. They just want you to feel better. Oh yeah. Now I don't have her. You know, and that makes me sad. Yeah. You know, and I can't use her as part of my recovery. No. Oh, and and it's it's and you're not in the place where you're ready for another. No, another. I yeah. have looked. I, I tried looking not long afterwards, mm-hmm. and uh, then they sent me email, and I saw this thing from a pet place show up in my email, and I completely freaked the fuck out, and yep. I deleted it without looking at it, and going, "Nope, I guess I'm not ready." Yeah. No. Um. When we lost Brandon. Yeah. When we lost Brandon, my my border collie. Um. Ursula was all about, well, I guess it's time to get another dog. And I'm like, I'm not ready. Yeah. You know, I, I, Brandon and I had been together and now I'm going to cry for him. I haven't cried over this dog in four years, five years. It's like um, yawning. It's contagious. Cause yeah, I yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's, uh, that's part of the grieving process is knowing when you're ready to move on, yes. whether it's, and, and we all, I mean, we all grieve a little bit over, uh, you know, relationships over this over that but but a companion in your life yeah my parents have been gone my father's been gone 20 years now my mom's been gone Mm -hmm. 12 and a half years and there's still times when stuff comes up you know grief is grief and it's going to take its time and it's going to process out and i need to focus on letting the grief happen but Mm -hmm. also not ignoring the burnout yes so I'm not going back to work full time. Right. I'm continuing to work part time for all the rest of January and for all of February. Come February, I've got a colleague who is uh, moving his practice. Mm-hmm. And he's going from being north of the city to into the city. So none of his clients can really come with him. Right. So he is in the process of going through with them, uh, which of them are going to be done with therapy and who mm-hmm. needs transferring and which ones and we're going to sit down and have some tea or lunch or something and figure out uh do a case conference and see Mm -hmm. which are the right ones to transfer to me so when i do fill holes in my schedule which i do have yeah yeah. i'm not working a full four hours every day i only saw like three hours worth of clients today i have holes Mm -hmm. in my schedule um i'm going to fill them with people who have already been in therapy who are known quantities who i know what level of Mm -hmm trauma and stress they are going to be dealing with. So I am not just picking up randoms and might get, uh, you know, randoms, randoms and the lovely person that I picked up that I thought was just going to be, you know, fine. I had three of the new clients that I pick up who seem to be fairly stable and just want to work on a thing. All turn out to have suicidal ideation and dealing with stuff. All three of them. Gotta add a note. Yeah, add that to my yeah, list. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, that's why I, mean, I keep the list. About, it just happens to be, uh, you know, they happen to have had that, and they were not in the initial uh, intake or evaluation. They did not disclose, and so I found out about it later. So this is where I wound up having what I thought was going to be well, you know, early screened. And yeah. So. Got to screen a little better. Yeah. Going to screen a little bit better. Mm-hmm. I do ask, but not everybody discloses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because one of the other things I do at the beginning when I'm working with people is I don't assume trust. Right. 
I tell people they can disclose things to me when they are ready because trust should not be an automatic given thing to me. Mm-hmm. You get to build that up over time and working together. Yeah. And so it just happened that when they mm-hmm. finally did get to that point and let me know, I, <laughs> it, oh, okay. Well, all right then. Yeah. We, yeah. Uh, I guess we'll, let me make a note cause we're going to work on this now. We're going to work. We're going to, mm-hmm. you know, that's going to be a yeah. thing that we're going to check on. And it just, you know, uh, too much is too much. Too much and is too I much. I did not realize, you know, how far into too much I had gone with the level of the fact of, you know, part of my ethos is to treat the people who need me. And now you need you. And now I need me. Yeah. And so I need to treat me. Mm-hmm. And I'm working on seeing my therapist every couple of weeks. Um, yeah. I still have not managed to get together with my peer group because the last time I was supposed to get together with them, I wound up having a medical appointment for the concussion with somebody yeah. that I couldn't, you know, I couldn't miss. So I was still taking care of me, but I still yeah. haven't met up with them. And now we are looking at closer to it being a year since I've seen them. So yeah, that's not quite. Yeah. nine months. Not quite. Yeah. But still, nine that's, minutes, but that's still a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. Uh, and I may need to find a secondary group or something else mm-hmm. to to be able to do that. Um, I'm no longer working on Fridays, so there are uh, larger peer supervision groups I could join. Yeah. But I've been using Friday mornings for uh, physical therapy for concussion stuff. Well, then maybe, you know, as that phases out, the other one can phase in. Right. And it's yeah. only once a month, so yeah, we will see. But... Uh, um, I have to think about in treating burnout mm-hmm. the same way that I think about treating for my clients is that I need mental tools, mm-hmm. I need emotional tools, and I need right. physiological tools. And they need to be balanced because if you think of them in that triangle that I showed you with my hands earlier and each right. one being on a point and, of the triangle. And, and none of you got to see it, but you get the idea. <laughs> right, which is why I described it in words. Right. Um, if you think of it as a three-legged stool, Mm-hmm. If all of your tools are only in one category, you're essentially sitting on a one-legged stool. Right. You can balance on it. It's work, but you I, can do it. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. It's going to be work. It's going to be work. And yeah. so you're also taking away from your mm-hmm. supports yep. by using supports that you then have to work at using because it's only only in one category. If you have a two-legged stool, in some ways that's even harder because – uh, Physics-wise, balancing it, like it, balancing it, yeah, it depends on which way the legs are. Whether yes. you're going to fall sideways or backwards, but you're right. going to fall. There's no yes. world in which you don't fall. Um, and it takes any two of your. Pardon me. It takes any one category of mental, physical, and emotional to pull the other two off. Yeah. But if you have all three, then you have a fairly balanced stool. Mm-hmm. You know, it may it may go clunk, clunk, yeah, clunk. But you know, uh, it is better. And so, um, doing the meditation, even though mm-hmm. you know that 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 hits mental, physical, and emotional. Yep. Um, exercise. <coughs> Pardon me. Hang on. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. I've been. I mean, I've been sipping on my my Lacroix, and you know, because yeah. I'm a, I'm a horrible person with a Lacroix. <laughs> Um, and yeah, yeah, the entire time I understand. 
um, uh, physical exercise. Mm -hmm. It's mental, physical, and emotional. Yep. Um, distractions hit mental and physical, hit, hit mental and emotional. Right. <clears throat> when I draw this triangle out for people, I draw uh, a smiley face, a heart, <laughs> and, a, and, a, and a stick figure mm. on the outside of the triangle. But I also mm -hmm. draw them on the inside of the triangle because they're external tools and then they're internal tools. Okay, yeah. <clears throat> Talking to friends, getting out and being social, uh, watching a movie, playing video games. A lot of those are all external tools. Right. Um, I'm drawing a smiley face inside a triangle now to remind myself of this, this illustration. Right. And so, mm -hmm. so if you put them at the corners, you know, mm -hmm. uh, food, what you eat mm -hmm. can be an external distraction or it can be an internal support. Great. Depending upon how you do it. Mm -hmm. And food very much can be mental, physical, and emotional. Yeah. Um, the act of making yourself good food mm -hmm. that you are then going to consume is, is a healthy thing. Yeah. So, one of the things that was uh, immediate for me as I started getting better from the concussion was the desire to cook. Oh yeah. It's so nice. If you haven't been able to, or you haven't had the desire to cook to suddenly have that urge again. Yes. Yeah. And so I made a number of things while I had the energy, which I then got to enjoy for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> um, as a matter of fact, I'm eating the remnants of one that uh, uh, Alan has done some cooking, and so he, <laughs> he takes up. And so the fact that he has made tasty soup. I'm uh, I going to say I try, and I kick myself every day, but, but since Ursula bought me the, the really nice Japanese bread maker, I've been trying to make bread every day, and a different, not the same bread every single day. Mm -hmm. um, or when, we, when, the bread, when that loaf is almost done and ready to go to the chickens. Right then it's time to bake the next loaf. And, and they're not uh, like, big loaves, but yes. uh, just this whole... Like you, feeling. I've yeah. been enjoying my Instapot. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. the fact that I was able to just throw a thing together. The mm -hmm. joy that I had um, in the week before Orisha that Alan came home really stressed from work and overdone and could not cook, and I could have the executive functioning to make the fish that was there and to just mm. throw it mm -hmm. together and make something that was tasty. Yeah. And do it. And that I had not had that in weeks, months, because it had been two months since the concussion. And I'd only sporadically done any cooking in two months. Now, now I grew up in an Orthodox Jewish household. So <laughs> cooking, oh, cooking yeah. is love. Cooking is love. Cooking is love. So yeah. for me not to be able to really cook for my family for two months? Oh. I mean, really, this is a tragedy. It is this, horrible. Yes. It's a tragedy. <laughs> so, you know, now, mm -hmm. now that we're past, you know, I even cooked for the convention. I brought food to make sure that we could eat in the room. Yeah, I, yeah. I do this thing. <laughs> and I can't do it without that accent. It just happens. <laughs> I can't. No, it's, it's when I get drunk and I'm talking about food. It depends on the food. I either get really Southern or really New York. I understand. <laughs> I grew up in New York City. I grew up in Queens, and so there is this. Idea. Oh, what part of Queens? Uh, two different parts, but but most recently near Queens College. 
uh, in Kew Garden Hills, which is the Orthodox Jewish yeah, cause uh, my, area around Queens College. So my apartment, my, my ex-wife and I, we, when I was living up there, my apartment was right across the street from the Austin Ale House, right there by the Kew Gardens Long Island Railroad stop. Right, so there's Kew Gardens and then there's yeah. Kew Garden Hills. Yeah. And I was in Kew yeah. Garden Hills, which are very different spaces. And there's water oh, yeah. in between and the highway. Um, the, before that, I lived in an area called, uh, Kew Garden Hills is also known as Flushing. Okay, there you go. Yes, yes. So, but now I know. Yeah. Is, is is further over, but um, mm-hmm. uh, Queens College is up by Corona. Yes. Yes. Um, but before that, it was uh, Richmond Hill near near the elevated trains. My dad okay. had a uh, had a pharmacy in Richmond Hill, and, and okay, so we yeah. lived in that area until until uh, moving to a more uh, the neighborhood used to be jewish where we had grown up mm-hmm. and by the time i was there 25 years after my parents moved into the house we were the only jewish family in a 15 block radius <laughs> and my father still attended the synagogue that was three blocks from our house from when it was a jewish neighborhood yeah so he yeah. stayed he stayed and continued to support them until they closed um yeah. but uh but we moved and so growing up in mm-hmm. new york food and among among all so it's not just not just for me jews um mm-hmm. part of getting out of europe my mother wound up in mexico oh yeah so from the time that she was six she grew up in mexico city mm-hmm. um and then came to the united states and to new york when she was 16 wow so, so there's all of that there's a hispanic quality yeah. also to my upbringing where some of my other relatives wound up in brazil and, and argentina mm-hmm. and so i have a family from, from who speak portuguese who uh, speak spanish who mm-hmm. speak french uh, so getting together there was this mix oh. of ethnicities and everything and all of them had one thing in common food 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 being love and cooking for yeah. people so spending two months or more, because during the burnout, I also wasn't really cooking and I just didn't mm-hmm. want to be bothered. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, even, you know, uh, Rosh Hashanah dinner was really bare Ooh. minimum. Yeah. Um, I managed gefilte fish. I managed chicken soup. I managed mm-hmm. salad. Uh, I made honey cake. Because because uh, you have to I have to make honey. You cake have to make honey not cake. Not Rosh Hashanah yeah. without honey cake. I also eat gluten free and dairy free. Okay. So uh, King Arthur has put out a really good mix of one for one replacement gluten free flour. I've seen it. I've heard really good things about it. I haven't had a chance to bake with it, but I I don't. None of us are gluten free here. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Um, so that worked really well and. Mm-hmm. The year before, I tried using a almond flour. I tried using almond flour to make, uh, and the texture I, never comes out right. Not only did the texture not come out right, it didn't have any enough binding, and so instead of a honey cake, I had a volcano. Oh, it oh. Vesuvius oversized oh. oven, and I had an entire oven covered in honey cake because I had not put a pan underneath right. the. Because I didn't expect it's not it supposed to, to do that. It's yeah, not yeah. supposed to do that. <laughs> so I was cleaning honey cake out of the oven for a week. Yeah. <laughs> um, so cooking is for me is mm-hmm. part of this, and uh, concussion managing stores. Yeah. Yeah. All the lights are uh, fluorescents. There's lots of overhead lighting. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of sound. You can't control the volume uh, of the music. Right. 
Um, one of the things I did not expect was how much visual moving stimuli would be a problem. Oh, yeah, yeah. So if there was a lot of movement around me, I had to time when I was going to stores so that there was less movement, fewer people. Mm-hmm. Is she? Yeah, okay. So here's the thing. One of my favorite places to be, and I believe the statute of limitations has worn off because it's been 30 years. One of my favorite places to be when tripping balls on LSD <laughs> was the grocery store because it's all bright lights and colors and every aisle is an explosion. <laughs> but the flip side of that is when you're having cognitive issues and when you're having uh, visual issues, especially something like that, the extreme, that is the last possible place you want to be because it's all colors and in your face. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And with burnout, Part mm-hmm. of the similarities in it is the inability to make decisions. Decision, decision fatigue, yeah. Yep. Took yeah. the words right out of my mouth. I know it well. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, that's another thing that has been really, 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 oh my God, useful, has been uh, our groceries. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I have gotten Alan on it and I've gotten the teenager on it, and so they can add their own stuff to it. And they are, they've got a default. They should just put it in one list, and then I will put it in the in the different list for the different stores. Right. And this year, I added uh, an Aresia shopping list. <laughs> and so everything for the con, as I thought about it, rather than mm-hmm. putting it in check boxes, uh, I had two options for it in our groceries: either shop or pack. Right. There you and go. Once I had shopped for it, I changed it to pack. But but I made myself a list of everything as I thought about it. There you go. Here because I can't keep things in my brain. Mm -hmm. And now I'm not deleting the things that I have checked off that are here. This list will stay for next year. Because you're going to need it next year. I was thinking that. Yeah. Because I'm going to need it next year. While if Mm -hmm. I just put it on a regular checklist, that you know to do list Mm -hmm. or whatever might get lost between now and next year. But I know I'm going Mm -hmm. to keep different categories in our groceries because it's not a thing I use or have to reference, and it's not going to be in my way the way a checkbox thing from to do uh, in the to do thing would would be. Yeah. Now, out of curiosity. and this is this is this is sort of a thing. One of our local, two of our local grocery stores—they're separate chains—but now they have an app where you can do your shopping in the app and just drive up and pick up. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. Weg- Wegmans has that, and mm-hmm. a, so I like bookstores. Yeah. And this will become relevant for for uh, understand in a moment. Mm-hmm. One of the things I dislike now about, you know, Barnes and Noble online or, you know, even using the, oh, and the other thing I use is Goodreads a lot yeah. to track my books. And I'll tell you the trick. I'll tell, footnote that I'll come back to Goodreads in a moment. Okay. Um, is the fact that part of how I would find books that I like is by browsing and seeing what they looked like. Okay. Sometimes by the spine, sometimes by the art, sometimes being able to pick it up and read a little bit of it, open to a random page. These Mm -hmm. are all things I can't do electronically in that same way. Shopping for groceries is much the same, where yes, there is a list of standard things that I might want that I could do that way. 
but there are a number of things that I go grocery shopping for that I don't figure out I want until I'm in the store. <laughs> gotcha. Like, uh, oh, look, they happen to have um, uh, uh, sausages without pork casings because we don't eat pork. Right, you don't eat pork. Yeah. Um, but that you would believe you would not believe how many chicken sausages are done in pork casings. Oh, so I can. I actually can. Yeah, <laughs> chicken sausage, and assume that you're going to be able to eat them if you don't eat pork. You actually right. have to read the, and I read ingredients because I have to check for gluten and hidden dairy and things yeah. like that. So that's the other problem is, is I can't necessarily use the lists because I can't read the ingredients. Gotcha. And what if they've replaced something and it has a new uh, ingredients list and they've added something to it? Yeah. So I actually have to be able to pick up the physical objects and read the, read the ingredients, even if they are things that, you know, uh, Trader Joe's did that to me at one point. Their turkey meatballs didn't have wheat in it right up until the time that they did. And they I was buying them and eating them. And I went to serve them to a friend of mine who was celiac. The package was there with it. And she says, nope, these have wheat in it. And I went, when did they do that? Right. Yeah, because I thought this was the safe one. Yes, I thought this yeah. was the safe one. And then it became not. So I always have to read the ingredients. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, that would be nice. However, I have a teenager who goes with me grocery shopping and, you know, this has been good. And I never have to worry about them being able to do their own grocery shopping. They understand right. all of this. Um, they don't cook so much, but... It, it'll, it'll come. It'll yep, come. they, made, they mm. made their own scallops the other night. I've been buying frozen scallops because they're inexpensive. Yeah. I taught them how to saute scallops so they would come out the right texture from frozen. Yes. Um... Are they scallop scallops or are they the fake scallops? No, they're scallop scallops. Scallop scallops, okay. Bay, bay scallops, the uh, BJ sells them in a nice bag. Okay. Frozen at, at you know, only like uh, eight bucks a pound. You got to be careful. Sometimes you get a scallop and it's it looks like a scallop and it's sort of, and it smells like a scallop and it might taste like it, but the texture is completely wrong for scallop. And then what is it? Uh, usually shark. Oh. Or ray, yeah. Huh. Just made in that shape. Um, yes, I believe that's what it was. Yeah, but I mean, there's Weird. there's a difference between it, it's it's so subtle. Mm. Um, the only reason I pick it up is because I've had like all kinds of different scallops, mm. and um, yes, even raw scallop over rice at a very high end sushi place. Um, that's advanced scallop because. Yes. <laughs> So here I am talking about shellfish. I don't eat pork, but I do eat shellfish. Right. I was not thing. going no. to say it. It is, but it, is yeah. a, it is a thing from growing up to where, mm -hmm. you know, we used to just, that was still a thing that we all liked. And uh, when I stopped keeping kosher, the very first thing mm -hmm. I went and got after not keeping kosher, I think was something was either shrimps or lobster in it because I missed there it. There you go. Yeah. Um, but pork's not such a big thing. In my yeah. Life. So, oh, that's that's fine. But, um, yeah. Organization. Plus, As I said, I do a lot of reading. Yes. So After we're going to talk about Goodreads. Yes. Goodreads <laughs> for years. I've been tracking my reading on Goodreads mm -hmm. for about five or six years. It has the ability to make shelves. Yes. You can shelve your books. One of the organizational things that I haven't been able to figure out that I've for years is how do you figure out what books you own? Right. And so my girlfriend, not this past winter, but the 
one before, she got me a Kindle. Kindle's interface for what you have on it is not very good. It really isn't. And so what I did just recently was make two shelves on Goodreads. Mm -hmm. One is own Kindle and one is own paper. Okay. Yeah. On my want list, I want it, it is, is a thing I want to read. And now I have a place to track whether I own it already or not. Useful. Yeah. I've had this app for years. <laughs> Why didn't I think about this years? Because now I'm not going to double buy books and I can keep track of this. And as I yeah. buy it, it goes on there. All right. I still double buy books occasionally. <laughs> but I'm usually buying a print signed copy at an author event. Yes. And then I'm reading it digital because mm-hmm. I can't carry around all of the print signed author stuff that you end up with when you're yes. in, in the fandom or author adjacent the way I am. So, right. yeah. Yes, I get that. Yeah. Um, so that is, um, you know, and I'm now looking at my phone again, trying to think about what are some of the other mm-hmm. things. Um my library lets me take things out electronically, which has been fabulous Yeah. Uh, to where I can request paper books electronically. So if I'm out of the store and I'm thinking, do I want to buy this? And I look at it and go, this is not mm-hmm. something I want to own, but I open the app on my phone for my local library and I can mm-hmm. scan the barcode and request the book from my library right there. Gotcha. So that's a thing that I do. Um, I've been using podcast addict in order to listen to my podcasts. Okay. And I, the interface on it was just the first one I started using. I don't know if it's great, but it works for me. And I'm terrified to try something else because it's got my history in there. I was going to say, I'm a pocket cast person. So, you know, mm-hmm. uh, everybody has their own favorite app for these. And some people are going to be like, well, maybe I'll go out and try pocket cast. Great. Maybe I'm going to go out and try podcast at it because um, why not? They may like the interface. Um, yeah. I've been using Pandora, even though lots of people tell me that Spotify is better. <laughs> Pandora's just been one, you know, been one I've yeah. used. Um, I have all my Google apps. I do a lot of stuff in Google. Uh, the convention organizes itself in Google Documents. A lot of the writing, the the book that I'm currently writing, that I am mm-hmm. now forty. How many thousand words am I into? I am I am editing right now, and so oh. my number of uh, is re- is dropping. I am currently just under forty three thousand words into, um, yeah. but I had to rewrite because I got told by people on Storium that the head shifting that I was doing was confusing, and so to write chapters from one person's point of view. So I am eighty pages into uh, rewriting it and doing it chapter based upon one person's point of view. And I'm enjoying the challenge. Okay. Um, yeah. And there are places that I realized where in doing it, I was showing a thing and telling a thing. Mm-hmm. And I didn't need to be doing both. Right. So forcing myself to do it from one person's point of view has been streamlining my writing. And I think it's a good challenge. I've been mm-hmm. enjoying the challenge. Um, yeah. But I was going to say, these are people who probably would hate the all the Expanse novels. And, <laughs> um, uh, I can I like I have all of these novels that switch point of views like that, and I'm like in mid scene. Um, you know, you're one person is talking, and then the other person, you're getting to hear what's in both of their heads. Uh, 
I'm trying to think if there's an, an express. Not, not that I've read. So it's like although I've been trying to read uh, Kevin Hearn and Delilah Dawson's uh, Tales of Pell. No, not Tales of Pell. Kill mm-hmm. the Farm Boy. Right. Um, the second one was. I can't remember it. And yeah. then the third one was Princess Beard. Kill, kill the Farm Boy, because um, I've read all three. Um, and yes, they're the, t- the series is The Tales of Pell. The, uh, yes, The Tales of Pell. I was thinking right. of the other one that Kevin Hearn was doing, uh, right. which was... Which, the Iron Druid for a while. Not The Iron Druid. Right. The new one, which is the story of the invasion I don't, on the I don't island. It's very good. Uh, I will get oh. the name of it for you in a moment. Yeah. Um, but anyway, he tells each section from one particular character's point of view, and then it goes through mm-hmm. the story. So that's kind of what I'm trying to do is that each chapter is from a particular person's okay, point yeah, of view. Okay, yeah, yeah. And doing it that way and changing it up. And that's been a really nice challenge to my writing. So since mm-hmm. January 1, uh, January 2, I have uh, – no, even January 1, um, mm-hmm. except for – Aresia and Aresia Recovery, which went through the through the fifteenth. I, I edited on the fifteenth. I've every day done yeah. either writing or editing, either at least twenty minutes of editing or two hundred words. They, yeah, there it's is, respectable. Yeah, there is a uh, let me find it a challenge. It's called BXP Twenty Twenty Challenge. <laughs> um, it is a bestseller experiment. Ah. That if you can write 200 words a day, then by the end of the year, you have enough for a novel. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so I have been, I had been doing that challenge up until I had to focus on Aresia. And that's, that's understandable. And I was going to say, Ursula, whenever she's doing something like that or has a specific word count goals, she has to hit in a specific time period. Mm-hmm. She might write ahead a couple of days if she's feeling the energy in that way. She she can either get caught up or get ahead, so that right. when she has to miss because we're at a convention, she's not stressing over it. Like the tenth, uh, instead of editing for for twenty minutes, I edited for one hundred and twenty minutes. On yeah. the twelfth, I edited for one hundred and eighty minutes and was working on stuff. So technically, I you know if we, if you average it out, yeah. I'm still within twenty minutes a day. Yeah, absolutely. You know, two hundred words a day. So. Uh, my plan is tonight. I've lost track of what time it is. It's almost, it's nine thirty. We've been talking for almost two hours. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, to get back to writing and writing, mm-hmm. as my therapist said, I'd been spending a lot of time prior to figuring out that I was on burnout in fantasy brain space and distraction right. space. And she said, maybe you need it. Mm-hmm. rather than kicking myself forward or feeling badly for being distracted or anything, she said, well, maybe, maybe you need it to look at yourself again in that radical compassion and that radical acceptance. Yeah. So I've embraced it and I've embraced writing again. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, my mom has been gone for 12 years now. So the last time that I wrote was probably around 13 years ago it was before yeah. she died. Um, and before that, my friends knew my mental health was declining when I hadn't written any poetry or anything in three or four weeks. Right. That was a long time for me to go without writing. Yeah. They would check in with me. One of the first questions when I would look distressed was, all right, when was the last time you wrote? <laughs> it used to be a much larger part of my life. Right, um, right. Kids changed it. Grad school changed it. <sighs> 
Life, man. Life did it. Yes. Um, so I am picking some of these things up that I used to do more and embracing them as not self, not distraction, but self care. Mm-hmm. Self care. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's pretty much the three components in recovering from burnout mm-hmm. is figuring yep. out the components that caused it. Right. And fixing those. Noticing what behaviors you have picked up since then and being able to work on them. Mm-hmm. And then the self-care. And the, the self care. And each of these, uh, you were talking about uh, when we were talking about keyboards, that image of the fingers that then spread out to more fingers that spread out to more fingers, that image that you talked yeah. about. Yeah. Each of these things then parcels out into multiple sections. Mm-hmm. Because self-care parcels out into mental, emotional, and physical, the internal and external, of figuring out what behavior and habits you have picked up that were functional then, that Mm -hmm. are not functional now, Um, figuring out the roots of what caused you to start down the road of burnout in the first place, Um, and fixing all of these these pieces. Fixing is the wrong word. I don't... um, being able to make healthier change in your life you that go. is long-term yeah. supportive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because um, it's not fixing because it's not necessarily no. broken. Broken. Yeah. No, people think of, of burning out as that you have broken yourself, that you are breaking. Right. And really, it can feel like that at the time. Mm-hmm. A number of people who come into therapy come in and describe themselves using pejorative terms that they are crazy, that right. they are broken, that they are, you know, all of these things. And really, it is a mismatch between what you are doing that nourishes you versus what you are doing that doesn't nourish you. Right. It's it's not a broken, it's just, it's it's course corrections. You know, nudge yourself back in the direction you should be going. Now, and, and notice not I'm not saying. Should. And yeah. should is a problematic word as well. And also, yeah. what happens if you ha- don't have a course you can push yourself back into? Yeah. What if what you have grown up in has been so bad that you don't mm-hmm. know anything else, that there is no, no yeah. place to get back to? You, you have to create mm-hmm. it. You have to create something you've never done before and for me the way that i've held on to pain pain yeah has been since i mean my first exposure to painful images or memories or anything that has to do around shoah around the holocaust mm-hmm. i think age four or five i have known nothing else yeah uh, so I have to build a new normal in how I process emotional pain. Right. Because I've never known how to do this any other way. It's ingrained to remember and to hold and to keep and to, the, yeah. And there is the ancestral trauma, the historical trauma, the, the inherited trauma. That's the term I'm looking for. Right, 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 right. And as you look at inherited trauma, because you're mm-hmm. not dealing just with yours, you're dealing with, you know, the stuff that you have picked up from your ancestors and your family yes. and yeah. your environment and your culture. Mm-hmm. Um, there's even a, specifically an EMDR protocol for cultural history and processing the trauma of cult- uh, trauma yeah. in quotes, uh, mm-hmm. the things that you have from your culture that have impacted mm-hmm. you in that way that you may be carrying around in a way that does not help you. 
anymore. Um, so I get to learn to do a new thing I've never done before. <laughs> I've always just mm-hmm. dealt with it this way. And it goes back to being that strong one. Yeah. My Because the things I have to, to figure out are, you know, how I do this differently, how I've always done this, who, you know, my place in world and family and mm-hmm. because I've always just done it this way. And I yeah. can't operate on reflex anymore. I have to operate mindfully. Yeah. And it's not, not easy. And it's not reflexive. Not easy. No. And mindfulness is not reflexive. No. Um, I, I, Ursula says a big deal about, you know, how lucky she is to have me and, and all this stuff. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you didn't know me before, mm-hmm. you know, you didn't know me. 20 years ago when <laughs> I was a walking wreck, um, wreck being, you know, a, a there, relative again, term. There's that image yeah, broken. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not broken. Haphazard might've been the right, the right term. You know, it's, 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 it's all a, a process and a learning and a growing. Um, I wouldn't I have been able to talk about this 20 years ago. Right. Alan right. says the same thing that when I mm-hmm. say that I'm very grateful for him, he says, you didn't know me before some of the rough edges got polished off. Right. And how much of our, of each other's rough edges we have continued to mm-hmm. polish off in ways in which we have grown together and, and, and become better than, yeah. some of, you know, each of us, we came into the, the relationship with this idea that we needed to bring two good people to make something better. Right. And we have always, conjugation has failed me. Strove? <laughs> Strove? I think Strove is about right, yeah. To, to do that and to mm-hmm. each work on our own growth so that, and to work on the growth of the relationship. Yeah. That we look at being in relationship with each other as an active process. Yeah. That we continue to work on so that we can stay together. Yeah. And I need to do that for my work. Um, mm-hmm. one of the things that I'm out about, and I think we mm-hmm. talked about last time is the fact that I'm poly. Yes. And I talked about the fact of primary level relationships mm-hmm. and I, I look at my work as a primary level relationship and I work at my self care as a primary level relationship. Right. And now rather than where the balance of who needs how much care when, because mm-hmm. you know, my kids need less. My older teenager is now in college nine months out of the year and is not home. She's away out of state very far. So she Mm -hmm. needs less of my care. Yeah. Um, So that frees up a bit. Um, Mm -hmm. Not having a dog at home actually frees up some while it takes Mm -hmm. away from others. Right. Means I can go out and do a thing and not worry about getting home in time to feed and walk the dog. Right. It's one less thing to mind. Yeah. yeah and yeah, I yeah. often feel guilty about the ways that I don't have to think about taking care of her. But, uh, you know, mm-hmm. pluses and minuses at the moment. Uh, and so now yeah, I can. The caretaker spend, guilt. Yeah. The caretaker mm-hmm. guilt. Now I can spend more mm-hmm. of that caretaking time on me and my work and, you know, my job. Yeah. Or my, my private practice since I work for myself. Or maybe just yourself. Maybe just myself. Yeah. 
and in that, but I also still have to be mindful while I'm at work. Yes. So that also gets to be, what am I doing and where is my focus when I'm at work and being mindful when I'm there, more mindful than I was. Yeah. And, you know, I, I am able with the work I do to compartmentalize mm-hmm. and say, this is that side of the desk is where I work that side of the desk. And if I'm over there, then I'm most likely working and then I can turn it off and walk away. And it's a lot harder, I think with what you do, because we all carry our work with us, no matter how much we want to admit it. But for what oh, you do, it's significantly harder. Made me realize a thing. Uh Oh, no, no, no. Oh, oh shit. <laughs> um, so uh, July, August, about 18 months mm-hmm. ago, I moved offices. Right. And in moving offices, I got rid of my desk and my tall iMac and switched to a laptop. The mm-hmm. laptop has my work stuff on it as well as my personal. It's mm-hmm. a matter of just switching windows to check work email. And mm-hmm. I wonder if in having if that separation between work and non-work time since I have a laptop has gotten more fuzzy and that I wasn't making enough of a barrier between leaving work at work because I could just, you know, maybe I'll just, just check, you know, I'll yeah. just check. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's a trap I've fallen into a lot with what I do. Um, we have, I have a, uh, I work with a great team now and we have um, follow the sun shifting for on call and things. Absolutely. So I, I don't have to be on yes. all the time. So I can say work stuff stays on that laptop, personal stuff stays on this laptop. And I, I try very hard. It doesn't always work because I've got Slack on this one. So it's connected to everything, right. but I, I try very hard not to intermingle the two too tightly. Um, one for security reasons, because mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't want my personal stuff getting intermingled with my work stuff, and I certainly don't want my work stuff leaking out through my personal stuff. Right. Um, you know, but sometimes you know, and and if I don't draw that line, then yeah, I am completely stressed all the time. Like because, since I've been home yeah. from work today, I've already checked my work email twice. Right. But I don't need to. No. I'm out of the office from now until Monday. Yeah, I should not be checking my work email until Sunday night to see if I've had anybody cancel. But with dealing with the level of clients that I was, I was having people email me that needed response in between. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm figuring a thing out. Thank you. <laughs> You're very welcome. Um, th- this is a lesson I had to learn for myself because right. I would, I, I would drive myself like I know I burned out once then the second time was when there were only two of us trying to basically support a global organization. Oy. Yeah. Um, there had been two of us and then my boss quit. And so I had to take over everything. And so that was me for six to eight months until we could hire in people to fill that gap. And even then it was still 16, you know, 10, 12, day, 12 hour days until I could get a director in who could talk some sense into people. Um Oy. Yeah, but I mean, you know, that's that's the sort of thing is, you know, all right, well, I'm done working. I'll have dinner. And now that I'm upstairs, I'll, uh, you know, um, we'll turn on the TV. And I'll just I'll just check and, oh, look, here's the thing that's going wrong, so I better go fix it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
but I, yeah. I, you know, need to not be doing that. And yeah. I can set that better boundary now because I don't have the same level of clients and same. Okay. Yeah. It, it'll, it'll take some getting used to. Believe me, I understand that. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. a reflex. Yeah. Um, no. Because when I, when, I, when I go through windows, I don't want to close all the windows in Chrome uh, because I'll lose all my tabs. Yeah. That when I go past it, it shows me how many emails I have. I go, oh, there's more emails. Why should <laughs> no, 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 no? I got uh-uh. to start doing something separate, differently there. We can we can talk. I I may have some <laughs> ideas. We, we I may have some ideas. But um, um, I've tried in in doing stuff with uh, with your suggestion is getting mm-hmm. to inbox zero, and it is very very hard. Yeah. I took all of my. Um, groups that I was in and Mm -hmm. sent them to their own folders. And since doing it, I've never looked at them, which is not good because I need to keep up with my peers and what's going on and Mm -hmm. stuff. But I think that's part of the, the, the burnout piece is that I had no interest in what was going on. Right. And I just kept making my world smaller and what I was taking care of. You know that there is also a, uh, uh, you can go up to the search bar in Gmail and just type is colon unread. And it'll show you everything in your, your Gmail mailbox that's unread. Right, but then it won't organize it. And I can't just read things that are part of one group, but I can go up and get all of that. That's that fair. Yeah. I need yeah. to organize my folders better rather than just, you know, making them as I need them. Yeah, I, I have a whole new structure that um, that doesn't even... Yeah, that I, I, it will be too technical to get into here. But yes, I have a, I have, I have a system now and a way to check it and things set up so it will show me where the mail, where there's new mail, so that I don't have to like dig around. One of the things that contributed to my burning out was moving my office twice in twelve months. And that'll do it, yeah. Um, and that the first time I moved it, everything went wrong. Yeah. And then I left under contentious situations that made the environment hostile for over a month. Oof. Yeah. And then I moved into my new space and it was lovely for a while until they changed the space above me to be a group working space. And then I wound up with uh, noise pollution and I still have the noise pollution from upstairs. And that's still a constant irritant that I can hear other people Mm -hmm. and I can't do work the way I would like to, but the building has been so lovely and wonderful to us. Otherwise, (laughs) like how many uh, mill building places in uh, gateway communities, compromised, you know, low income communities to where I point out the fact that you have this lovely mill building and there's this place where the, the, the floor dips and comes up. Mm -hmm. That is a hazard for anyone with accessibility issues. And they actually heard me and put up signs which is a start yes they just accepted it yeah they Mm. just accepted it i said this was a problem they understood when i moved in i said that sound Mm. was an issue and they worked on soundproofing until they put the group workspace upstairs and there's only Mm. in the mill building me my ceiling is their floor right so there's no sound barrier and we can't put a barrier in between but they have another space up on the third floor that uh, they are <laughs> waiting for someone to rent most of it. And once they have someone, cause it's like 47 yeah, yeah. square feet and I only need 300, but oh. once someone who is willing to, to own more of that, at least one third, they will make part of that building out project, a uh, much more sound segregated space for me, but I have to wait until they get a tenant. 
Yeah. I am making do. Always the way. Yeah. But that was also a stress yeah. on me that contributed those irritants that you don't think about. And the amount of stress in moving my practice and changing my address twice with nine different insurance companies. Even if it is just one line. Medicare, federal Medicare mm-hmm. has a 21 page application that every time you change your address, you have to fill out all 21 pages because all the information has to be consistent throughout the entire package. And they will not just put in new pages where you have made changes because yes, because you moved from suite 100 to 200. Yes. So right now they are renumbering the doors in our building and my suite number is going from 111 to 117. They have said, and they recognize this, they will make sure my mail winds up in the correct box anyway, so that I don't have to deal with changing suite numbers with insurance companies. Yeah, that would be, yeah, at least. So they heard us. Yeah. Yeah. They heard us about this, that this was problematic, and they're going to work with the, the, hmm. the mail carrier to make sure that things show up that way. So I don't have to worry about it yeah. and make those changes again. But there's a, I mean, one of the insurance companies wanted a notarized letter that I was changing addresses. Everybody else had a form online, except for mass, except for the federal. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Everybody else had a form online that I could just fill out and say, hey, I'm, I've changed my address and I sign it. Except for the one that wanted it notarized. Yeah, except for the one that wanted it notarized. <laughs> I, that's all right. I've, I've done the background checks, and uh, the first time I did them for, for government work, it was all mm-hmm. paper, all paper, all paper. Yep. So when I started uh, two jobs ago uh, on our government build-out, and they're like, here's the forms you have to fill out. And I'm like, well, here we go. I know this form. I've done it before. It's all paper, all paper, all paper. And they're like, hey, we've sold another customer, so you're going to have to do the the background check again. And I'm like... Oh Lord, now what? And they're like, here's the new electronic system that everybody but that other customer uses. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, yes. So and I, I keep a paper copy as a backup so that next yeah. time I can just I just copy and copy it down. Yeah. But uh, I mean still. Other, yeah. Other things that I use to deal with paper that are mm-hmm. systems that I've never heard anybody talk about is Hello Sign and Hello Fax. I do not know those two. I know DocuSign. Yeah. They are Google products. Ah. They are part of the Google uh, Business Collective, and anybody can use them. Hello Fax allows you to take any scanned document, and if you mm. are only doing one in a month, it is free. Okay. So if suddenly you just need to fax a thing, mm-hmm. you know, you can use Hello Fax. Hello Sign gives you an interface system to where you can fill out boxes and uh, add initials and modify documents and and uh, sign them uh, electronically. Mm-hmm. And I've been using that for work to replace my fax machine and to sign things that get sent to me. Yes, because for whatever reason, the medical world is still in fax. It is still in fax. Um, my billing service uses a fax system called Sukasa. S-O-O-K-A-S-A. And I do not know what the costs on it, but it allows me to just take any uh, documents that I have and say, I'm mm-hmm. sending it to this person and it uploads them and sends them and I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. And that works really well. Uh, I had to shift October of 2018 to a fully electronic health record. Right. 
right. uh, in Massachusetts, it mm-hmm. became uh, it became mandatory. So I've having an electronic fax and uh, document signing system means I am dealing less with paper. Right. Which makes my filing much easier. Much easier. And I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in, in, you know, in, and, and then talking to you, realizing that moving mm-hmm. twice in 12 months mm-hmm. really was much more of a huge contributor towards my burnout than I, even until, you know, this, having this conversation has been really useful. Right. Yeah. Um, then I had attributed because there's a lot of my filing that I have not done. There's mm-hmm. a lot of my office that is not organized that I don't have a system for yet and how to manage because I just didn't have the emotional fortitude to create it. Yeah. And so in only working from 11 until three, you know, for the next six weeks while I get to do this, I mm-hmm. will have more time in there. My plan eventually yeah. is to only start working at 10 a.m. so that I can have the morning to go to the gym if I want. Yep. Or I have the morning to meditate if I want or sleep in. Mm-hmm. Just that self-care time already built in. Yes, absolutely. It's already been in my system to make sure I took an hour lunch. Yes. There's so many therapists I know who don't take an hour lunch. I know one who does 45-minute sessions that are back-to-back pretty much all day. She has no wiggle room between, oh. her, between her sessions, and I don't understand how she does that. Everybody has a different flow. Everybody has a different thing. I, we've got a guy at work who I don't know how he does it, but he can be working five different things at once. And I don't know how he does. I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. You're also um, on, I think you're also on meds that keep you from having to, from, from parceling out. You're on a, you have ADD? No, 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 no. no. Who was I, it? Must have been one of the people on your show who was talking about how yeah. to take medicine to help them focus in rather than yeah. spread out that way. Yeah. There, there are a couple. Yeah. No, I, I, um, no, I, I've, I can give myself the ADD hyper focus with enough coffee, but then <laughs> I can't sit still. Um, yeah, giving yeah. me caffeine often is like handing Doctor Jekyll that drink. Yeah. First, I'm 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 the mad scientist and I clean everything, and then I turn into the monster and I break shit. Yeah, but if I don't have enough of it, I get the headache and the nut because I I I I recognize my own addictions. I know exactly what they are. So, yeah. um, yeah. But I need to take the time and I have the privilege. So part of this is also recognizing privilege. The concussion let me know my intellectual privilege that I had not considered before. And um, the the recovering from burnout and having the time and the ability to to Mm -hmm. do this and to focus. You have to take from somewhere to give to someplace else. And so I had to take away from the time that I was seeing clients in Mm -hmm. order to work on healing. Right. So. Yeah. So there you go. Learning for everybody. Learning for everybody and finding your systems that work for you and allowing Mm self everything that you're talking about with productivity and Mm -hmm. self-care and all of these people that you're talking Mm -hmm. to, these are all important systems for learning and managing burnout Mm -hmm. already. I mean, everything Mm -hmm. that you are addressing 
mm-hmm. addresses burnout and the healing from burnout. So while you've been saying you want to have a burnout conversation, you want to do this, yeah. what, did I, what are the things that I'm doing in order to manage my burnout? Finding all of these tools <laughs> to make my life better and to, to, to get out of my head and doing the process of self-examination. Yep. Keep what works, throw the rest out. Keep trying things. And then every so often try things because you never know. The yep. thing that works now may not work in a year. Yep. Yes, Ernie. Um, I think he's ready to go outside now. So. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thank oh, no. you for giving me a place and for yeah. figuring some of this stuff out, getting to talk about it in this way uh, and, and examine it through this lens. has given me mm-hmm. a couple of I'm, things I'm, to take to therapy and work on. <laughs> I've, I've, I've certainly learned a lot and I'm glad I can help. I mean, that's kind of why I do this, that and the excuse to go out and buy whatever planner looks fancy at the store and call it a business <laughs> expense. But yeah. Um, so, yeah. I still haven't changed what planner I'm using. I'm still using the same one. That's fine. That's my system and it if works. That's, if that's the one that works and as long as it keeps working, you're good. So. Yep. Thank you so much. You, know. you have a good night. Yeah, you do the same. And uh, for the people at home, we'll be right back after this. I had a great time talking to Michelle, even if it was some really heavy stuff. Uh, and I, I want to thank everybody who, who's listened, gotten through this, and uh, Michelle especially uh, for her time in making this happen. And Absolutely. I, I, I will point out, uh, I did verify after the interview, uh, Michelle's a Storium player. And you have a world on story. I do. Uh, that was part of the Kickstarter. It's thing. the weird fruit one with the rodents. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so that I'm just confirming that. Yes. Yes. That's there. Uh, so we should talk about badge codes. Yes. What is our badge code? Our badge code is too much. Too much. After, All right. After the the quote, too much is too much. Just remember that. And actually. That helps you. That that actually started helping me say no to things. Too much is too much. No, I can't do that. Yeah, it's it's an important thing to keep keep in mind. You can go online to our the Productivity Alchemy website to find out what badge codes are, how to redeem them. It's kind of cool. Yeah. You can also find out there how to support us. You can. Uh, there are options. You can give us money. You can tell your friends. It's all good. It's all good. Honestly, we're not going to go through all the details because you probably don't want to hear it. And honestly, we feel weird chilling for money. So, yeah. it's yeah, it's not like this is our primary source of income. I, Thank heavens. Which is yeah, and and we're not running ads for mattresses or food delivery services. So. If any mattress or food delivery services would like <laughs> to buy ads, you know where to find us. No, it'll be the same two that are everywhere, and I I, I don't want to recite them, let alone listen to them anymore. Yeah, so. and if they heard the way we ad lib ads, they'd probably take their money away. That's very the other quickly. podcast. That's the other podcast. <laughs> 
uh, I'd I'd start to break down very quickly under pressure, believe me. Did did I tell you about the time, I think I did, that we had a a major food, a major name in food, like their social (laughs) marketing person, reach out and say, hey, you do this podcast and I'm doing social marketing and what would it be to sponsor? And I said... You know, before you do that, love your product, by the way, love your product. Before you do that, why don't you listen? Because I don't know <laughs> if we are advertising to the people you 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 want. You probably don't want to be associated with us, I think. We- and like the email came back like a day later going, yeah, I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, no, I, I understand and I'm flattered. I feel the love. I but- feel the love. Realistically, <laughs> realistically, I don't know if I could, if we could do something serious on that podcast about a product I do love. Yeah, yeah. So it was Biscoff cookies. Yes, and I love me some Biscoff. I just don't think we're necessarily the family friendly demographic no, that they were no, after. Not at all. Not at all. That, I mean, that was I was probably screaming about. Okay, things that I, you know, I, I thought of a quote and then I thought, <laughs> no, productivity alchemy is not the place for that quote. It, exactly. So let's move on. Let's move on. Yes, it was the sea anemones, people. So anyway. Uh, thank you all for listening. <laughs> thank you for your support. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for your comments on Twitter. We have a letters show next week. At least that's what's on the schedule. And at some point I should do the one about my writing method because people, someone asked. Yes. And I've got a couple more interviews scheduled. So I've got more people coming in, which is great, and I'm really looking forward to it. So thank you all, and uh, oh, oh, by the way, I just remembered, I did get all of my articles for my Open Source 101 series are now on the uh, articles page of Woo-hoo! ProductivityAlchemy.com, so you can go check those out. If, all of your wildly popular articles. Uh, the total for the entire run across 20 articles was well over 180,000 views. All right. That wasn't per article, but it's a, you know that's a respectable number. <laughs> respectable, he says. So... Yes. Anyway, yeah, I'm uh it's been I'm very proud of him. Internet. Yeah. So anyway, thank you all for for listening and reading and support and all that stuff and we'll see you next time. So until then, stay productive. I got to go pull an ending out of my ass.